Hello, everybody, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It is June the 21st, 2017. It's back to just being on Wednesday night that we're doing this, uh, which I'm very glad for because it means I'm actually awake while we're talking about manga today. Well, I'm glad at least one of us gets to be awake. I'm going All to right, be slowly, I'll carry us through this thing. I'm going to be slowly drifting out, in and out throughout the episode. Okay, if, if, if Chris starts snoring in the middle of things, then, you know, don't mind him. Oh, I, I don't mean, like, drifting out into sleep. I mean, drifting out into, like, different personalities and characters. Like, one moment I might be discussing fairy tale, and the next moment I'm, like, a kindly old Jewish woman who really just wants you to eat wells and be healthy because you're my, you're my kin and I want you to be strong. Uh, and then a moment later, I'm a robot that wants nothing but to see you broken into shattered bits. Um, okay, I'll get ready for the emotional torture, I guess. And then I'm a snail after that. Then they're doing it. Just a snail. a snail. Just a snail. But that's kind of the underrated character, you know? Like, nobody really puts a whole lot of thought into, like, what the snail's gonna do. Oh, and then I'm a still game. Oh, no. I know, I, I, I spent, you know, my, my preteen years watching SpongeBob, so I might. That's a cartoon character, Nick? Talk about a real life, actual snail with dreams. <laughs> <laughs> with dreams. dreams and convictions, <laughs> passions, opinions. Just like imagining his tiny little, like, barely moving slug with a shell. Like, I'm going to take on the world one day. Just a speech bubble popping out of its head. It's just like, whoop, whoop, Inspirational whoop. music playing. <laughs> I want a free internet for everybody. <laughs> I'm going to be on Broadway. I'm going to vote for Trump. Uh, I'm like, yeah, well, I mean, one, I think you missed your chance. Oh. I'm like, you know what? Apparently my uh, alt-right neo-Nazi snail character wasn't a favorite (laughs) at the local community college talent show. I want to get rid of all the brown people. (laughs) Are we still letting Muslims into our country? Jeez, Louise! Like, uh, this you know, for anyone. They're like, sir, we we've been telling you to get off the stage for several minutes now. We have to get security I'm, now. I'm very slow. I'll get off eventually. But while while I'm still here, let's talk about how we need to maintain our borders. <laughs> oh, it's a weird start to an episode. Okay, raise the snail. All right, so that established. Uh, Going to be talking about a lot of manga this week between jump starts and having some of our regular series on and getting two chapters for one series. We have a dozen chapters to talk about for a dozen different series. So I think that we should just get right into it. Fortunately, there's no time limit on us this week. Uh, but I think. Oh, that, no, there uh, definitely okay. is. <laughs> There's no time limit for you. One of us you. is going to fall asleep by the end of it. <laughs> no, no, no. One of us is going to fall asleep by the end of this. I have two papers that were assigned to me today that are due tomorrow, so. What the fuck are you doing, man? <laughs> I got them today, and they're due tomorrow, Nick. This podcast exists at a consecutive time. I don't have this choice, all right? It's good. All it's right. good. I got it. Um. Uh, it's it's only about millennials how I relate to them and I don't so you know it's I'm some easy I'm sure I could just knock out in a little bit. I do I do sort of sometimes I've gotten assignments in college that I that I just kind of write with a very resentful tone for having to write about them and take them over a certain approach. I don't know if I've ever told you about the assignment that we get that I got where we had to uh, write about Donald Trump and this was like a year 
president. So <laughs> they're like, yeah, well, just make sure it's an admirable piece about Donald Trump. They're like, I mean, isn't that kind of forcing an opinion on us? No, no, no. We just can all agree he's universally great. Remember, we had that we had that snail in a couple weeks ago. Talked to all the students. <laughs> Let me tell you about how great Donald Trump is at. Uh, hi, oh, hey, Nick! Like, oh, gosh, I broke character. <laughs> uh, no, it's um, it was uh, 2014 or 20, maybe 2013, even, and we had to write about um, uh, Donald Trump as an effective business leader based off of a clip that we were given, a link to a clip we were given. And then after we had written that response, he then linked us to one about one of the billion different controversies that Trump has been involved in. Uh, and then said, so how, how's your opinion changed? And I was like, listen, you fucking told us to talk about how he was an effective leader. He had nothing to do with how you were supposed to talk about how good he is as a person. Personally, I think that he's the worst, stupidest person imaginable. So. It'd be great if you wrote your entire paper just on his involvement at WrestleMania 23. <laughs> I don't think I'd watch that clip yet, that, uh, that, that build up. For you, you didn't match. watch that entire feud, the hair versus hair match? Oh my god. W- Re- WrestleMania superstar Donald Trump? He was a Hall of Famer. WWE Hall of Famer? Uh, yeah, which is my favorite wrestler? Uh, you know, the black one. Uh, <laughs> the was, guy you're managing at WrestleMania. The, the best one. Biggie Langston. I like that wasn't Biggie Langston. He's not even a wrestler. <laughs> you he, you, he you racist motherfucker. He's like, fine, The Rock then, whatever. <laughs> like, it's one, not The Rock. Two, you should definitely know who The Rock is. <laughs> fine, I get it. Bruno San Martino in blackface. Whatever. Holy shit, why are we in so many uh, tangents? I just mentioned how I have assignments, too. By the way. Okay, let's talk about My Hero Academy. A recap portion weekly my recap getting underway. We are still in the fight between Sun Eater and uh, the members of the Eight Bullets. I countered the Diamond Guy with uh, using chunks of muscle and these octopus tentacles to absorb a blow. He's got... Um, tough shells from the crab uh, around his fingers. So using a combination technique that we couldn't really see the full details of before to get better. Mm-hmm. And uh, then he follows this up by lashing out with this tremendous swarm of tentacles, which he calls the Chimera Kraken. <laughs> I say. Um, this is, you know, he does, does a quick mention of, hey, you know, I've been pushing the limbs of my quirk at the academy for two and a half years now. I can use different parts of different things that I eat together. Uh, and he really starts to wreck shop with his swarm of tentacles. But, uh, Tabe, uh, eating one of the bullets, uh, finally wakes up a tentacles off of Sun Eater's arm, which is scary as fuck. Yeah, this is a pretty vicious chapter in that it's like, hey, look at all the uh super cool special ability. Like look at look at what Sun Eater can do. And then we we'll just watch him slowly get eaten throughout the chapter. And I guess the yeah. logic being that these are things he's like growing so cuz like when I first saw the, like the the shot of uh whatever Chomp dude or whatever his name is, like taking a bite out of his arm, I was like, holy shit, did did, did Sun Eater just lose a huge portion of his arm? But I guess this is like 
extra conjured material, so, like, I'm sure it hurts, but it's not as though he just got dismembered or whatever, but it's still right. a pretty, like, visually brutal chapter to that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so this is where we get the uh, full introduction to the third member of the Bullet's Power, which is that um, he's, you know, Mighty Muncher or whatever, Muncher Eater Lad or something. Oh, shit. M- M- Mighty Matter Muncher Eater Lad or something like that? Fuck. The actual name correct because I think the the parody from Fairly Odd Parents just keeps flashing in my head. <laughs> uh, I think it's Muncher Eater Lad or something. It, it's just Matter Eater Lad. That's it, yeah. So. <laughs> Sorry, if you type matter, matter Eater Lad, the first image is just so great. It's just a dude whose mouth's open and is talking, but like a beam of light is shooting out of it. He's like, you forget, all energy is nothing more than converted matter. Alright. Um, so, they almost literally start taking Sun Eater apart. Uh, the protective face mask that he's uh, been that he's got on has been swiped off by the pilfering ability. Uh, he gets smashed in the face by the diamond guy. He's of him, so everything that he summons up in order to help himself either gets eaten off or swiped off and then comes in and punches him right in the goddamn face. Ow. How is he not dead? Because uh, he's uh, got a superhero endurance, like all superheroes in the series, I assume, do. So, um, he, this, which is, oh, my octopus tentacles have a neurotoxin in the saliva and it's in the tentacles. So you're, you're eating it and then you're going to be paralyzed. But, uh, he's going to bite it. Um, the swiper grabs it and he says, okay, so the elements of my core car, I can't steal things when they're too big. But since these are just the leftovers from what he hasn't eaten yet, I can take those away. He just gets them before Tommy gets poisoned, basically. Um, so things are getting really uh, bad for Sun Eater, but he says while he's pinned in, against the wall, oh, well, yeah, hey, even if you guys beat me, then you're still going to be arrested. And uh, the leader says, so what? I, when they don't met society, a lover beset with a crushing debt, not even allowed to die. He survived sucking down water from the gutter, and another became a simple tool for some money grubber. And when that pig figured out my fake jibs were worthless, we were deemed just as worthless and beaten to hell and back. He came to us and gave us purpose and stuff. So this is revisiting a little note that you saw kind of in the last chapter. There's a little bit more detail in this one. Uh, so what do you, what did you think about this? Uh, to a, to an extent, I definitely enjoy getting the extra detail on this because last time it was addressed far too, like, minimally to be kind of worth the fact that they had it in there. You know, like, hey, that's what we wanted to die, but it gave us purpose. But yeah, it was, it was that specifically of like kind of a unique motivation to just be like lost over. Uh, whereas this time they've given a lot more context to it too, particularly explaining why, uh, Snatcher or whatever his, the swiper, the fox, whatever that dude's name actually is supposed to be, 
why he would oh, be someone man. who why it'd be someone who was trying to take his life. And they explain here, betrayed by a lover and beset with crushing debt. Like that that works. I get the context then. And they also then further exasperate, or not exasperate, but further explain it and give it context by saying, these guys have these motivations, but really they've all just been brainwashed. Like, that's the way they kind of phrase it. It's not that, like, he's able to just, like, convince everyone to join them. He, he kind of just brainwashes them all in their various ways. So while they themselves are devoted and they have this compelling teamwork, uh, it's not something, though, that it's just, like, pure loyalty. It's not like Blackbeard as an inverse to Luffy kind of scenario that's happening here. Um, so I do like that all. Though, um, so, observes, uh, you know, he remembers something that, uh, is, you know, we might be trash, but trash can form solid bonds. And so as the diamond guy goes to finish him off, he manages to reach down with his chicken legs and down to the ground and flick a bit of, I guess it's diamond rubble, but uh, he's, he flicks a small rock and it hits the snatcher in the face. And he's like, okay, I've got to tear their armor apart. He works on objects he can see, and that's why the police couldn't wouldn't draw their guns on him. But now that his eyes are off of me, as the attack goes for him, uh, he smashes back through the the crystals because, or he managed to actually eat some of them when he was being punched in the face. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, um, I do like that. He, he now manages to get his leg up, and the chicken leg now has gems coming out of it, and he snatches the guy, his entire upper body in it. And uh, then when Tabe goes in to try and attack him, he lashes out and just leg, which is, and then his leg is made from uh, the, the, the squid tentacles, and it's reinforced with diamond, and he just pins all three of them up against the wall and smashes them into it. And uh, as he's doing this, he says, you know, I know all about solid bonds. My friends don't use each other. Don't eat friends. Yes. So uh, it looks like this is the uh, end of the fight with Sun Eater and these three guys. Uh, yeah, that uh, that seems to be the impression we're getting here, so... We'll see where things go from here. Hmm. All right. right. So we're going to jump into fairy tale, though. I'm going to note at the top, uh, I, you might need to restart your connection because I'm getting a lot of uh, robotics on your end. Yeah, um, I'm starting to hear that, too. So uh, yeah, I'll, right I'll just I'll continue on in this. We're going to try to restart the connection, see if that helps here. So in the meantime here, let's jump in to fairy tale chapter 540 balance and again the cover page here right now is still doing the one arc of fairy tale represented each time and this one i believe is meant to be the fighting festival but more specifically raven tail well it's brand who's front and center and then minerva off to the side but for the life of me, I can't figure out who the dude who has, like, the bandit mask with Jazza on it is. 
and I know I've seen the guys behind him, but I've forgotten what their point was. Like, I can't, I can't figure out anything there as to what happens there. It's, it's, it's the tor- I know it's a tournament arc, but like, the Sun Village? Was there a Sun Village? Oh god, I guess there was that thing. You know what? Fuck Fairy Tale. Alright, I guess there was another arc I just forgot. I, I forgot that there was the arc wherein Urza turned into a child and the first thing she did to affirm that she's still a child is look at her genitalia. <sighs> Fairy Tale's just awful in many ways. Alright, so let's actually get to the chapter itself. If you will recall, last time, uh, Acnologia absorbed all of the space-time world, has grown out of control with his immense power, in the process, somehow transported all of the Dragon Slayers to him, where he is in this physical form, isolating them in just whatever realm this is to presumably finish the fight. So that's where we begin, and as we find out in this chapter, and I apologize if I'm going to be kind of bouncing around, this is a very chaotic and hard-to-understand chapter in, like, following along logic, because it, it constantly jumps between the fact that there's, right now, two split situations. There's the physical form of Acologia, the big dragon that is rampaging around still in, I guess, what we call the real world. And then there's the spirit Actologia uh, that is living in this realm that he controls where all the dragon slayers are. So these two it, things are happening, but we're... It jumps between them at very awkward points, too. Yeah, we keep bouncing between them, and it's it's somewhat confusing. So just to begin, the start of it is that the other, Actolo- uh, the other dragon slayers are all in this realm, but they're all kind of like sealed up in crystal things that I guess Actologia just has kind of the ability to do in this world. I guess he's, I don't know if he's supposed to be God or anything like that, but uh, it's just a power he has, I guess. I don't know. And Natsu's trying to have, like, a little bit of tension with him. Doesn't really do a whole lot. We bounce back to the outside world where Urza, I feel like she's trying to taunt him. Like, she's like, Akhtalazia, why are you running away? And it's like, man, I feel like that's just a bad idea. <laughs> However, this all is is immediately forgotten because the sky shatters, and from that fallen, broken piece of the sky is Anna and Achiyu, who are, of course, alive. They're, of course! Of course they're alive, Nick! Why wouldn't oh, they God. be alive? <laughs> why man, wouldn't so, Fairy Tale a... deal with any consequence whatsoever. There goes my idea. There goes my idea that oh, you know, it's it's so that you know someone unimportant had to sacrifice themselves in order for technology to die. It is the thing. I don't even. I, I completely know what fairy tale is at this point. I know that everyone gets a happy ending, so I perfectly expected the idea that. These two would live, or at the very least, Achia would live. He he'd find some way. But I figured it would be at the end of the series, in some of the final chapters, just some kind of illusion, or just directly showing it, like, oh hey, we found these guys after the battle, they're okay. I get that. It's the fact that it's like let's just cut the legs out of any tension we have already that these two made any sort of sacrifice. Just be like, hey, they're alive, splash, splash. Oh, and Achia's doing his stupid fucking pose as he falls from the sky because fuck it, why even bother having tension? He's, I just... He's barely conscious, but he still manages to do a goofy pose, of course. 
What annoys me is how that chapter focused so much on the sacrifice, and it just, it, when you bring about that it didn't really have a purpose, I just sit here, I'm like, well, stop wasting my time! Like, I, there's other shit you need to do! Or just don't do it and waste my time to begin with if you don't have other things to do with this time. It's just, it's, it's very annoying. I, I, I'm in a weird headspace currently. It's been a very chaotic week. I read this point and I was just so flabbergasted and annoyed by it. It's not even that important of a part of the chapter. It's not really that significant in the long run of fairy tale, but it annoyed me to no end. And I want to note that. So they're alive. They absolutely provide nothing to the situation except for Anna to explain kind of what's happening because she just knows it. I guess she's, she's the super master of all big end of the series Deus Ex Machina logic. That's actually, that's actually her magic is Deus Ex Machina magic, I assume. So she's figured out what happened. Mavis isn't there anymore. So you have to have someone who's there to provide all the exposition. Yeah. Her clothes will fall off too in time because that's just kind of how that, she'll gradually shrink, she'll gradually shrink into a barefoot lowly. Yeah. But her clothes will be illusionary. So, you know, it's still kind of hot. Uh, she notes, though, that, look, in this world, the Dragon Slayers over there, they're the only ones who could do this. They're the only ones who can get involved, so it needs to be them. We need to, you know, have faith that they will be able to win. So Urza's like, all right, we'll fucking, you know, gird your loins, everybody. We're we're going after the physical Echolagia. Um I think Mess just shows up at this point, conveniently. He's just like, poop, and Urza's like... What a perfect time for a teleporter! We need one right now! And they do it. They teleport over to fucking Magnolia. The most underwhelming reunion occurs between Urza and Makarov, where she's just like, Oh, hey, you're alive. And he's like, Master! My bad! (laughs) It's such a flat fucking moment that you almost think, like, Hero realized as he draw, like, he was, like, drawing at the chapter. He's like, Oh, shit! Urza doesn't... Fuck! Well, alright, we'll just do it. <laughs> like, I, I want something bigger, but she's, she would see him now, I guess, at this point. Whatever. I'll handle it in post. I don't know. They t- spend a lot of time explaining the, the premise that there's just two Actologias right now, a physical version of his body and the spirit that's out there. And uh, apparently very few people in the, the collective fairy tale universe can comprehend this logic, because a lot of them are just like, well, wait, It's explained over two? and over and over again. They're like, but if he's here, then how is he that he can't? But if they're both over what? It's like, yeah, we don't have time for it. Also, everyone keeps referring to fucking Cobra as Eric, and I keep forgetting that that's supposed to be his name when I'm like, he had a cooler, more fairy tale-ish name before. Carla says, hey, we can't give up hope. Wendy's fine in there. Q, Natsu's fucking, like, slow freezification is broken because Wendy wakes up because she heard Carla. And then all the other Dragon Slayers also wake up because someone at least tangentially connected to them I guess at least called out their name. No one gave a fuck about Cobra in the opening page. Literally no one gave a fuck about him. The one thing that said is, and is Eric there too? That's it. Apparently that was enough for Cobra to be like, my friends need me! And he fucking (laughs) Super Saiyan flexes out of this thing. And we get this this admittedly cool two-page spread of all the Dragon Slayers together. And it's cool because this is something I assumed would happen in the series at some point from the very beginning. And finally we get it. All the Dragon Slayers in a cool battle pose... Uh, it, it's nice. I, I, I appreciate that. Cobra is still, like, that weird odd man out in this whole scenario where you're just like, 
most people would probably forget you're one of the seven, but hey, good for him. And uh, the chapter ends with Acrologia being like, I'm going to show you why I'm the Dragon King. Credits. Very bizarre chapter. I get the impression that Fairy Tale thinks its fucking its science is fucking stupid because they explain a very simple to understand concept over and over again. Eventually, resorting to using graphics with like, Prince here and his physical form is here. Hmm. Like, yeah, you've said that like five times already. <laughs> yeah, it, it's. It'd be fine if they even just did that right from the start, because I could see how the graphic would oh, help. Sure. But yeah, it's something that like we if get you, explained. If that were, if were the very first thing, if like one person explained it and it's like their graphic was there as they explained it, it'd be like, okay, done. All right, thanks. Move on. Oh no. Also, the members of Fairy Tales seem really stupid for not getting being able to understand it this, until like the fifth explanation. Um, then. There's the whole Dragon Slayers versus Agnology thing. It's okay, a little bit of an unexpected conclusion because, like, I never really expected Cobra to be there in the final fight, but okay. And I do think that it's a moment that could have meant a lot more if all the stuff building Sting and Rogue had been more effective to this point. I think it even could have just been better if we had had more time to, like, sit upon this fight that Natsu is the only one. That's fighting against Actologia to this point. Because we start the chapter with all the other six have been crystallized and frozen. And by the end of the chapter, they've all been freed. And it's not as though this chapter was entirely following Natsu's fight solo against the most powerful dragon god of all time sort of deal. Yeah, even spend one chapter with them getting like his ass kicked, but he manages to set the other dragon slayers free or they hear the voices or whatever. And then it's like, and now all of us will take you on. Yeah, just just build to it, essentially. It's it's a, it's a cool idea, like, on paper, but the execution has got to be there in order to at least make it feel as important as it looks like it should be. Mm-hmm. But hey, what can you do? We got, uh, we got only so many chapters left, so to speak. By the way, uh, this is something that was brought to my attention. Uh, I don't know, Nick, if you're familiar with the Humble Bundle. Yeah. Uh, so they have several of these things that, that, that go on. There's almost always a humble bundle of some form now, but there's also like a mobile bundle, monthly bundle, and also a book bundle, which usually has different ebooks and things like that to purchase. Right now, it's fairy tale. And if you pay even a dollar's worth of fairy, t- uh, money to this, you get, I think, it looks like, uh, my math's not so great, about 20 volumes. Uh, no, sorry, it's five volumes to start if you pay at least a dollar or more. And then as you keep going up incrementally, you'll get more and more to the point where if you pay $17 or more, you get every volume of Fairy Tale that's released, including all of the spinoffs, including Jesus. an absurdity of the different spinoffs. You're going to get uh, Ice Trail, Fairy Tale Zero, Blue Mistral, Fairy Girls, Twin Dragons of Sabretooth, Rodenite, uh, more Fairy Girls. A swimsuit fairy tale, fairy girls, and the fairy's booby prize, which based on the cover is Urza in a bikini? So, there you go. You get a whole shit ton of these. Uh, $17 for what looks to be 45 volumes of a manga is an insanely good deal. So, I highly encourage you guys to go check that out. Especially if you want to own the collective works of fairy tale. Perhaps you want to read all through fairy tale again prior to our final episode discussing it, 
this would be a good way to do it because you were supporting legal distribution of manga, and that is a deal you can't beat, even if it's fairy tale. But hey, you get like at least four different fucking fairy girls or swimsuit chapters, so you know you're saving yourself on a Pornhub subscription or something right there. I don't even know. Were two or three manga for the spring manga guide uh, that appearing in it for some reason or another. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, but one of them that we actually had turned in the articles for was Fairy Tale Rotten Night. It's actually it's actually quite a fun manga to read. There you go. It, feature, it, it features um, what's his name? Uh, Gajil. That's that's Gajil. the one people like. Yeah, Gajil's the main characters, which makes it instantly better. <laughs> Um, I'm not sure. There's also, for at least the dollar level value as well, a Funimation subscription discount, and I could see where that would be advantageous. I can't tell if it's a dollar is the subscription price, or if it's a dollar gets you a coupon for it that I'm t- not entirely certain on, but, uh, hey, do it, guys. It's, it's there. You can, you could you could hop on that. Only 2,000 bundles have been sold at this point. Oh, sorry, hold on. Well, yeah, 2,000. I did my math right. <laughs> I'm in beginner's algebra for a reason. It's there. I'm done. Let's talk about Astra. They're all clones. Spoilers. That that was the last chapter. They're all clones. Oh, uh, spoilers. They're all family now. Last <laughs> <laughs> um, time we just got the explanation that uh, all of the kids in the crew of the Astra are clones of parents. Uh, including Funi and Kitari, who uh, Funi was essentially the backup clone. And uh, so we get part of the chapter focusing on their parents this week. And the last time that their parents showed up in a big group, it was mostly to kind of express generic, oh, we're worried about our children kind of things. This time, it's basically just like, well, how are our clones doing? <laughs> it's a pretty fucked up chapter because it's just them kind of uh, very bluntly talking about like, so the basically the meat husks that are going to be our organ uh, <laughs> fucking clawing devices. Uh, well, we got rid of them successfully, correct? <laughs> like they can't possibly return. Like it's it's hearing them all talk about how like they none of them love their children. They're all just different ways for them to essentially express themselves narcissistically and gather organs from them in different ways. Uh, Luca's father uh, brings up how, like, Luca is essentially a dream of his because it was a way to find a being that transcended gender. And, like, everyone else just dismisses, like, weird old artist. And you're like, man, this is some really fucked up shit with these people. <laughs> Holy shit. Well, they're talk- well, because they're talking about their kids basically as objects. Um, but you kind of come to understand also that they very deliberately tried to make it so that they didn't get emotionally attached to their children in one way or another. Um, so, you know, for example, Kitri and Funi's mother, uh, had them essentially be raised by her servants. Luca's original, uh, put him up for adoption so that he wouldn't grow attached to him, uh, and stuff like that. And, uh, Basically, the law was getting changed so that it would be completely legal to, you know, clone people. So they're like, we better cover our tracks. And that was why they sent them into space to die in the cold, cold vacuum. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty harsh. Now, uh, there's one thing. Okay, never mind. Never mind. I just read it and realized my point. 
So continue. Well, and uh, they also, as one of them explains, like we kind of acquired the means to abandon them just by complete, you know, certain happenstance, which was they just found the portal randomly out there. You know, we sent out the beacon and it, we got a signal from over 5,000 light years away because that's how space works. <laughs> <laughs> but they've kept this whole thing secret. Um, and, uh, you could argue that the signal came back through the portal somehow. Um, I guess I don't, I'm not a science guy. Would, I don't know how temporal portals work. Well, the way, the way that it works is that 5,000 light years away means that it takes 5,000 years for light to travel that distance. So if a, a beacon drone was sent through the portal, it sent a signal back to Earth, then it would take 5,000 years to get that signal. And immediately, unless there is some sort of super advanced technology that they have, to have not traveled across the full distance in order to... So maybe it signaled back through the portal with its location. Hmm. I know that they've... T- well, because if, if the kids are 5,000 light away, that means they've got faster than light travel. I don't know. Now, where do parsecs fit into this? Oh, well, you know, that's how you, uh, that's how you make the castle run. So, um, and, uh, they do confirm that, uh, yes, this has to do with the memory transfer process. And the reason why they, uh, were approaching things the way that they were is because the memory transfer process works best when the target body is at prime maturity between ages 22 and 35. So they were too young process. And if the transfer had failed, our memories would have been lost to effectively killing us, so prudence demanded the clones be scrapped. Everyone kind of treats this whole thing as, as like, oh well, be able to live forever, but uh, no harm, no Say harm. Say vie. Launch nine innocent children into space to die. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the biggest controversy I'd have on my record if someone looked into it. <laughs> So, um, father wraps the whole thing up because, uh, you know, uh, I think it's, I think it's, it's Zach's father who, who says, you know, I heard that you had a close connection with yours, Mr. Hoshijima, even trained him personally. And now once I got my new body, I wanted to be a world athlete again. So I wanted to start training him young. I trained him like I was, an ex- I was training extension to myself, but did I think of him as a son? I won't once. No, because then we cut to the kids who are all, you know, dealing with this information that they've figured out in a brief conversation where they kind of reiterate things as the smarter ones among them have figured out, okay, this is probably why, why we were, what we, what we were going to be used for. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty bad. Uh, yeah, it's not a lot of uh, optimism at that point. You really can't be like, hey, guys, you know, let's cheer up. Chin up. Maybe, maybe our parents have a good reason for this. Nope. And, uh, oh God, what's, your, what's, what's her name? The main girl with the... Uh, Aries? She's like, I don't believe this. You know, my mom cared about me. I can't believe that she would ever do this. And, and Zach says, hey, I don't know exactly what's going on uh, with you, but... 
people that you've been left kept ignorant at this point. Uh, hey, maybe your mother isn't your biological mother. Maybe you know, the woman who's been raising you is not actually related to you, and she did care about you, basically. But I think that this is what's going on. And Kanata wraps the whole thing up by saying, this really does bug me, and, you know, they did all this stuff so that they would not get attached to us in different ways. What we all have in common is that none of our parents loved us. And understandably, a lot of them are really upset with this with this conclusion. <laughs> we just get a couple of pages dedicated to children crying, which is <laughs> so 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 funny, so so funny. <laughs> uh, you know, Kittery is th- throws a fit while she's crying, uh, and you know she she says, uh, you know, I di- I never really liked my mother, but hey, you know, there's unconditional love. I I did love her. And, uh, crying. Luca's crying. Funi's crying. Aries is crying. Uh, the thing that really got me was that, was that Zach is, you know, bending over to kind of, to try and comfort her, and even he's crying. And Zach is, is shedding tears about this. He's shedding, like, you know, man tears, because he just got, like, one beating up right there. He's like, no, I won't let it fall. I won't let it fall. But. Yeah, like, like me when I was watching Toy Story 3. I didn't cry like a blubbery child. I'm like, Lotso, why? They brought you into their fold! They made you one of theirs! Where's your auntie now? Lotso, no! <laughs> the other ones not crying are Charles, uh, Ulgar, well, he's too, who he's, says, he's too tough. It's like, I am a shonen protagonist! <laughs> yeah. As, you know what? I say we're a family, so we don't have parents. So what? We're in a sort of wizard scar clones. Who cares? We were all born under the same star. We've all faced death together. It's just family. So let's all go home together and give them the shock of their lives. They can't know that we're alive and coming back. If we can make it back, our rituals will be arrested, and the government will register as clones as ourselves. Yes! Do Hoorah! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it, well, here's the thing. This is a pretty crazy twist that gives this series a whole new form of context. We're already kind of in this weird place where we're like, so they're on, like, the last planet. Like, are they just gonna go home and that's the end of it? But like, oh, okay, here's more context to the series. Is it quite over yet? Um, but even kind of beyond that, uh, there's just a lot of unique parts. As I said, a lot of different characters and how they kind of react to it. It's one of those things I always like looked into a lot when there'd be great, big group moments in One Piece, like the the scene of the going merry. I always like like kind of analyzing to what extent the different Straw Hats got emotional because it, yeah. it told you a lot about that. And this yeah, is the yeah. same kind of thing. You can see a lot based on how the different characters here are reacting to this news. How you know a lot of them are crying, but like Olgar, you know he tries to pretend he doesn't, and Char seems to just have this very strong mental fortitude that doesn't get to that point. Um, well, Char's kind of already hated his family, so... <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, there's that as well, too. Uh, but it's also kind of interesting is we don't have... Uh, I think Petra is her name, but but I feel like that's not right. The newcomer on the ship. She's not there, I don't think. She, so. has, she, she hasn't been involved at all for any of this, so I'm kind of wondering what happens there. Um... Again, I'm still hoping she doesn't like just end up being a disposable character, but uh, she definitely feels less significant in the grand scheme of things after all this has come out. Because it's like, oh hey, look at you, you fancy fucking normie with your non-clone making parents. 
I'm actually quite glad that you uh, have to be involved with the crew because uh, she, she kind of shouldn't, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. She hasn't had the same bond with these kids, and she's very much the outsider of the group, but I feel like she should stay that way, uh, at least for now. You know, this kind of important revelation, they're not at the point where it feels like, she, of course you can be here for that. <laughs> <laughs> But also, it's see, I think that she's coming to kind of provide a, di- a diversion. Remember, there's, there's that information that she's, you know, trying not to tell the kids about yet. And more than just, you know, going back home in order to shove it in our parents' faces, there is still something else going on that we don't know about yet. Yeah, they still haven't figured out everything that's going on here, so there is that to kind of work through as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, what's that said? Let's, uh, go on to Food Wars. Shokuyaki no Soma. Last time, uh, we got established what the, uh, second round was going to be. The resistance versus, uh, the, the zombie regime. I forget what it's called. Central. Central. That was it. Um, so this is a chapter that understandably focuses primarily on Kuga and Tsukasa, uh, as they are going to be facing off. Uh, we get a, a, a good amount of backstory. Uh, it it kind of starts off with almost like Kuga's like narrating. Uh, it, it, it's it's kind of weird because it shows him, you know, in, in a uh, with a, one that's a, that with a sign next to him that says "Special Interview: The Real Terranori Kuga." It's basically like a cooking or a dating profile like description to start. He's like, bit, yeah. I mean, I'm the kind of guy who you know decided to you know. Blessed with a thing or two, you know, having decided to just give me a couple gifts. I mean, my family's rich. I'm super cool. I'm super awesome. I pull off a suit really good. Chinese food, the best food. I'm the cutest pie you've ever seen. Yeah, I'm the, uh, I'm all, I'm all the little ponies when you think about it. And I are rarity and, um, Freako? Freakazoid? One of the other ponies, one of the other ponies, Nick? But, Buttercup? Is the Butter, is Buttercup one? Big adventure, lots of fun, runs around in underwear, Freakazoid, <laughs> chimpanzee. <laughs> it's all like, Nick, how does that one song go? Like, uh, uh, my palms are sweaty, knees sweet, mom's spaghetti, ch- Freakazoid, chimpanzee. Like, I just, <laughs> everyone just goes into that. Be somebody to Freakazoid, Freakazoid. <laughs> Um, essentially, he says, oh, you know, I was raised by a doting mommy, grew up in a, a, into a big, handsome boy, all the girls went gaga for, why did nothing, my life was long, long, leisurely strolled down the road to winning, you know? That is, until that day. You know, I know this is all about, uh, you know, how Sukasa crushed my hopes and dreams and I want revenge against him kind of thing, but it really does kind of make it feel feel like, Hmm, if this hadn't happened, I think I bet the Kuga would not have jo- would have actually joined Central because he seems like a spoiled brat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's also that thing that's kind of been a part of like all this is that Kuga is one of the few people in Central that Soma and the rest of their group have a connection with, and it's you know primarily because Soma had an actual encounter with him and had a match with him and had all that, so they, they, he's involved in their lives. But as far as like 
amongst Centro as a whole, he's not like, he's only kind of their friend because he's one of the few that they know. He's not like the most likable member of Central. He's kind of an annoying shithead all the way through. He's always been really kind of a prick. Yeah. It's just, he also happens to be a prick with the same sort of motivations as Soma. So I guess that's, that's good enough. I mean, you know, there's, when you think about him compared to Ishiki, compared to Arena, you've compared to freaking Rindo, who is opposing them. He does seem like a, a little asshole. So, everyone is kind of reacting to the fact that, oh, wow, you know, they Central have sent out their top third years in order to take us on, so this could be, you know, pretty bad. Uh, so... It's kind of funny because Stome is like, you can draw out your theme ingredients from the lot here. It, it, you, you can do the honors. And Rindo's like, wait a minute, I want to do it. <laughs> I want to do the draw I thing. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> and she has isn't. such a happy smile on her face. <laughs> She's just reaching into like a freaking, like, like a, like a money machine that uh, blows pieces of paper around. She's like, go. <laughs> yeah, she's so excited. She's like, I wish I had that sort of passion for everything in life. Just able to appreciate the small things the way that she does. <laughs> she's like, I can't wait to do the draw thingy. She gets a, a pretty awesome draw, too, it looks like. Um, but the draw, it looks like the council members uh, let uh, the resistors do the draws after that. We get a little bit of a, just a short exchange between Some and Megishima because Sedan there is like, hey, you know, a few months ago we were, you know, shoulder to shoulder in the Council of Ten and now we're facing off as opponents, so, hmm, that's kind of weird. Well, you know, everyone has their own goals and motivations and you'll have stuff like this every now and then. And so he's like, yeah, I get that, but you, you were right on the same path with us and now you're back in these guys. And Megishima says, well, two. So, I guess just a little bit of foreshadowing before we get an eventual big explanation of what's going on with him. And he loses to Rindo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, we get Kuga's theme ingredient to take on Sukasa is green tea. Or tea leaves. And so everyone's like, that's kind of weird. But, hey, you know, you can use tea leaves, I guess, in order to the aroma, aroma and flavor they, they go on about. And um, uh, Ikumi talk about it. This is got to be kind of weird because neither of their specialties particularly go well with that. Because, you know, Kuga's got the Szechuan thing and Tsukasa's got French. It, it goes weird with either of them. Um that's because green tea is disgusting and tastes like grass. <laughs> I've never, I've never tried it. So it tastes like you put grass in the hot water and then drink it. This is nothing more than hot leaf juice. Kuga immediately starts getting starts getting going, uh, just chopping up some ingredients. And was like, "Oh, does that mean he knows what he's got to do already?" And hey, you know, I, I figured you would be really flexible about this. I knew that having you taken out the council would be a waste. Shut up! I don't care about what, what you say or, or he's, 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 sorry, he specifically says, I know you don't care one bit about anybody else. 
And this is where we get a flashback, because we had known before for a long time that Kuga took on Tsukasa and Shokugeki, and he lost it. All the judges chose Tsukasa over him. Um, and uh, we was uh, still a first year, oh, I think he's a member of the council at this point. I'm not sure. But he's talking with Azon and Kinokuni, and uh, he's really kind of still beating himself up after you know, almost like a week and a half after uh, lost. And uh, Azon's like, oh, God, stop whining. <laughs> <laughs> he is also sitting nearby, and he says, hey, you know, if you look at it from a different angle, you succeeded in dragging the first seed to a challenge, so that's something to be proud of, right? And Kuka's like, hey, yeah, Tsukasa decided that only a Shokeki from the green one for me was worthy of his time. Ha 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 ha. Damn it, why'd you have to bring his mood back up? I was looking forward to him spending a month or so being quiet for once. Yeah, come on, man. Why'd you have to cheer him up so quickly? <laughs> so, um reason they're kind of peeking around a corner. I don't know why. He was going off to go and challenge him to a rematch, but they decided to peek around a corner at him first. Uh, I like to think that they're just like they're ambitious underclassmen who want to see their cool senpai and how he does things. Oh. Isn't that like the thing in Japan that like you have to be like in all of your senpai? Yeah, that's true. So, I don't know. I guess it's where it fits in. So a, a random classmate of Sukasa's walks up, and it's like, hey, I just heard. And he's like, what are you talking about? Oh, yeah, you took on an underclassman in a Shokugeki, so that's really not like you. Yeah, that's right. I'm so awesome. But the student says, hey, it was, you know, the Kuga family guy, right? So why did you decide to take him on? Full page spread for this moment. Because Sukasa thinks for a moment, and he goes... And Kuga realizes that moment that... Literally has actually left no impression on Tsukasa. He was not worth remembering. This is a brutal and brilliant revelation because Tsukasa's always been somewhat of an interesting villain in that he's the leader of the council and we've been shown that he has this magnificence when it comes to cooking that does make him appropriately the antagonist, but he has a lot of traits that are sort of atypical for a villain. He's the comedic one kind of of the group. He's the, he's the, the weak, uh, kind of wit, not weak willed, but like the meek, very like, oh, I guess he's the Osamu of the council, I guess is the best way to kind of describe it. He's, he's, he's like the one that people will push work onto and things like that because he's just a doormat. So it's always been a thing of like, what is going to make this guy evil? And we know that he, he goes along with Central's ideas. So that's in its own way kind of important. But what's kind of, brought up here, because this is all a flashback told after the notion of uh Tsukasa being like, hey, I knew there was a reason we didn't let you off the council, and Kuka saying like, don't give me that, I know you don't care. This is showing that. This is showing exactly that he doesn't care, actually, about others. That he had what was in Kuga's mind, this incredible match that was a defining motivation for him, that moment that basically gave him everything he needed to seek to be the pinnacle of this this institute, and Tsukasa's like, yeah, but for me it was Tuesday. You know, he just he just didn't remember it. Left no impression on him. Perhaps because he just has so skill. It's it, it just it's something that makes this character a lot more interesting. And it's not something that's so despicable that I'm just like, oh, Tsukasa. 
But it's because just something... you, well, you bring up the, you know, for me, it was Tuesday kind of thing. And in that scene, which is a fantastic goddamn scene, by the way, you know, Bison's got this, this whole, like, I'm so fucking awesome that you're beneath my notice attitude to him. He doesn't really think that way about himself. He just literally just like, he was going about his day and something happened that left no impression on him whatsoever. It's a lack, the lack of malice that makes it interesting. Uh, you know, the lack of malice behind that commentary where he just kind of thoughtlessly, uh, you know, presumes things about people like, you know, where he had the thing with Soma and he's like, oh, you know, you could be my sous chef, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, hey, so. you know. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? He's like, oh, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, following this, we get, you know, Kuga kind of standing in a sea of students. Um, and he's like, hey, listen up, Suka-san. I'm not just high school student A. I am not just one random nobody in a sea of nobodies. Eishi Sukasa, with this Shokugeki, I am going to sear the existence into your brain so deeply that you will never forget. That's pretty badass. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I hope they put that on this um, tombstone after fucking Tsukasa murders him in a chapter. <laughs> we get this very imposing little panel because Tsukasa's like, all right, I, I'll give some focus too. And he holds up some some tealies and he's like, all right, give your essence to my dish. And he's like glowing with battle or <laughs> Get a noise coming from another counter. It's a big wooden crate gets slapped on a counter. Your eyes gets gets taken out, and Sukasa's like, "Ah, I see you've you've begun too." And we get this fucking amazing sequence of Rindo whipping out a cookie knife from her bandolier, fangs showing, and she's like, "Let's do this!" And everyone's like, "Get the Rindo senpai's card." And there's this happy little fucking alligator in the crate. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> How's your day going? Like, oh, don't kill him. He seems nice. Goddamn hope that that's not the theme ingredient. And she just, that's just her, like, her pet that she wants to learn. Like, or she just always kills a live alligator for her food. She's no, like, no, oh, my, spe- my specialty is fucking, like, downhill gumbo. <laughs> I, th- I hope that she, that has nothing to do with what she's cooking. It's just there so that he can, like, happily wag his tail while she feeds it bits from her dish. Oh, marshmallows, the ingredient. I love those. <laughs> uh, you know what? This is a crazy two page spread because, uh, what the fuck? Like that What's face, that expression, that, that, that dead intensity. This is nothing to which I, like, we, we've seen Rindo when she has those moments of seriousness and they, they kind of always played on that idea of almost her being like this seductive vampiress who will like, has like an evil streak to her. This is like straight, like no, 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 not vampire. She's a fucking like psycho murderer killer. She's she's Freddy Krueger. She's she's the dude in Scream after they found out who he was and he just goes ballistic on them, sort of thing. Like this yeah, is a yeah, like this is a terrifying expression that really is like holy shit. What does she do when she cooks? I'm gonna be so pissed if like the first shot of her is like her like slowly grating cheese or something. I need to see her like just pull like just whip this alligator on the table and it's just like. Bl- it like just like the psycho music just starts instinctively playing like dur, 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 dur. 
It goes back to the happy expression she had before as she's, like, pouring water very carefully into a measuring cup. <sighs> Too much. Not enough. And then she stabs the table in half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then she stabs the nearest judge. Like, wow, this is a weird chapter for Rindo. But, uh, hey, that was a pretty funny chapter. And yeah. I like that development for Sukasa. You know what? I'm even finding myself wanting a little bit for uh, Kuga to win now, because Tsukasa kind of was super mean to him. I mean, he's not going to. <laughs> no, he's going to get his shit pushed in, and I can't wait for it, but uh, for a little bit, I kind of want him to win. Alright, let's move on to Dr. Stone. Uh, cross accounts, right? Oh, because I didn't copy that into my notepad list, that's why. Cross Accounts is the jump start that we have, have starting this week. The internet was a mistake. So, <laughs> chapter one, virtual X-reality. Uh, I will say, the colored pages for this series do look very pretty, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, in fact, they belie a premise that, um, hmm... <laughs> Oh, I don't know. <laughs> we, we already have a lot of series to get through. We're, we're not even halfway through this our recap. Long, so we have a long... Through it, yeah. yeah, so just to kind of abridge this, the topic of this is about this boy, Daichi, who is considered by the women in his class to be not a threat. They call him Mr. Harmless. They'll get changed around him. They just don't care. He's not going to do anything. Whatever. It's like having your dog in the room while you get changed. It's like the dog right. doesn't he care. Stumbles into, he stumbles into the girl's room at one point, and, and they're like, oh, come on, man. This is this is the wrong room. And he's like, no, you should be worried that I'm seeing you changing. <laughs> yeah, that's a big deal. It's more. But my concern is like, so wait, like 20 girls are all changing the same room? None of them made sure the door is locked? Like, what happened here? Uh, but no, there's... Okay, yeah, exactly. There's this whole thing, though, that he resents this. He doesn't like being considered Mr. Harmless. Don't they understand? And he hates that he's kind of being treated like this. He's, he's strived to achieve this balance between being a popular kid and an otaku. He just wants to be in that normal frame. Um, and by doing so, he's hidden his true identity as an otaku. Uh, we then are introduced to his, uh, like, I don't know if she's a... F- I assume friend is the term they use, childhood, but... Childhood friend. Childhood friend, but they've now... Well, she still has a friendly relationship with him. He's just grown to dislike her because she's the one who sort of perpetuates that thing. Mm-hmm. And it, it oh, just... Look at, how, look, at how, look at how harmless this guy is. I can hold him between my giant thighs and squash my huge boobs against his head, and he doesn't even care. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's exactly what happens, and he, like, runs away. At which point, reveal he's like, even though I run away... I'm not powerless, you know, because maybe I'm lonely at school, but on the internet, and he, like, fucking flips open an app on his phone, and it's like a, me- like a fucking, like, orchestra thing as he's playing. He's, like, typing fucking tweets out. We, we find I'll out- I'll take a potato chip and eat it! <laughs> yeah, it's on that line. He, he is an alternate account on this, uh, donkey ear, I think it's called. Yeah, donkey ears is, like, their Twitter, I guess. I he don't has- know why the fuck they went with that name, but okay. <laughs> Maybe in Japanese, like, donkey ears has some sort of sound that fits to, tw- I don't know, whatever. Uh, there he goes by Mr. Harmful. 
and he, he, he is, is so stupid. <laughs> which is very fitting, I feel like, for like a fucking fourteen-year-old who's just using it to shit out all of his angst. He essentially has this account that he uses to shit post all of his classmates because this is where he lets out all of his true feelings, where he he talks about like, yeah, you know, I'm so happy I'm born to otaku. You guys could talk about all the things you want as popular kids, but at the end of the day, you're still gonna be a big body of bones the same way I am. So ha 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 ha. And I guess his shitty teenage angst trolling. Not even trolling, because he's not commenting He's not trolling at anyway. people. He's just making open comments. Yeah, he just makes them, and, it, and it's somehow attracted like-minded people to the point where he has over 3,000 followers, Nick. Over 3,000 followers, he's a big deal. I have over 3,000 followers. I don't feel like I have anything, but... You know. I'm glad that they didn't go, like, higher. Like, can you imagine, like, you know, just this random loser, like, being like, I'm no Taku, but all you guys are gonna die. We're gonna go to hell anyway. If some, you know, wanksty <laughs> bullshit crap like that, you know, oh, look at how deep and insightful I, a 14-year-old, am about the true ways of the world, man. You know, every, everyone just, like, is so fake. Person in the world, everyone's just so fake. And you know what, girls? You shouldn't wear makeup, you know, because you're. De- I know how beautiful you are on the inside. Only I would appreciate that, you know. And can you imagine if, like, this were like a guy who had millions of followers or something like? Yeah, this? if, if <laughs> they put the idea. Under- There'll be people who were just like hate following him. It's like, oh, look at what this fucking loser had to say. <laughs> and this, this is actually very important because this is kind of like, again, we're trying to bridge this thing. This is what the series is ultimately about. It's this guy who has this ultimate, uh, this alternate account that's this uh, shit posting account of his. And he gets a comment from a random, or a direct message from a user who goes by uh, Mr. Poophead. And this person basically <sighs> creates a friendship with with daichi they they find that they relate to one another on everything to the point where this guy even comes out to mr poophead about the fact that this isn't his real account starts talking to him openly about the mr harmless nickname he has and everything else like that and there's this kind of weird attitude that kind of pops in this is there's this part that's not like, strange, it's just like, yeah, this, I guess, is kind of what would be, like, otaku's talking to one another, where they're like, so, who do you, who's your crush? And they're like, it's not a thick character, is it? Like, no, but it's someone who I only saw on the television screen once. You're like, okay, I get that, you know, like, your first crush you have as a kid is, like, somebody on television, that sort of thing. And they specifically mentioned it's this actress, uh, Nanoka Satsuki. And all, at that moment, because you already saw her on the cover page, you're like, all right. So we've seen the other girl on the cover page. I see Daichi. The only other relevant character right now is this fucking Mr. Poophead person. <laughs> so there's like a 98% chance she's Mr. Poophead for some reason. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a twist you see coming from, you know, a mile away. But the thing is, is that this whole premise, this, this, uh, I don't know if it's supposed to be a harem or whatever it becomes, is, is predicated on this notion. It looks like it might be a love triangle Mm -hmm. between, uh, the celebrity girl, Mr. Poophead, and, uh, the childhood friend. Uh, it's all predicated on this notion, though, of social media. Like, that's, that's their, Mm -hmm. their, like, twist or, or catch or, you know, gimmick, rather. There's a moment when, uh, Daichi sees a couple people, a couple of the otakus from his class going into the girls' locker room, so he follows in and sees that they're essentially, uh, like, sec- uh, they're taking pictures of his friend, 
against her permission and then blackmailing her with them to give them more essentially it's it's a horrible horrible thing and he gets together the conviction after recalling what Mr. Poophead encouraged him to do uh, it's not actually what Mr. Poophead was telling him to do but he uses his motivation you know chases them away and with a fire extinguisher. Yeah. And because of it, kind of like has this moment of, uh, her- uh, heroism. And that kind of is what we close the chapter on. Not completely, but like, this is what's meant to be like, hey, he's our lead, guys. He's, he's a guy who will stand up for his friends. He will overcome being a nervous little shithead. Everything else like that. The, Later consequences are described how the three people who did this were like left the school and were given this like little explanation. It's like even after those three transferred, the cyberbullying didn't stop. They had to carry the punishment for their sins they had committed forever. And presumably this is the last we're ever going to hear of them. They're just the disposable chapter one bullies. Which, at this point, I feel like those guys need to get a union together, because they are getting no credit at this point. They are just disposable. And this felt like a really big thing to kind of put it, because when you make your topic about social media, and you actually reference the fact that there's a dark port of social media that, like, harasses people, and goes after them, and can make people's lives a living hell, and you only use it as, like, well, that only happens to the bad people. And then just kind of ignore it from there. That's a kind of weird, fucked up thing to do. Uh, I had a very conflicting opinion on this series, if only because I'm not sure how this series is going to handle a topic that's actually kind of as <coughs> intricate as <clears throat> experiencing life through social media. Yeah. Because at the end of this, you know, he hasn't realized yet, but we see that Daichi has been sort of rewarded for everything that he's done. Yeah. Because Mr. Poophead is the girl he's had a crush on, the famous actress he's, he's secretly loved since he was a kid. And she likes him and thinks he's amazing and she probably has feelings for him. And you're like, oh, but that was all predicated on, hey, this guy had an account in which he used to shitpost people at his school all the time. Yeah, but isn't it great how, you know, he goes online and he just, you know, like, uh, says a bunch of nasty things about people. <laughs> yeah. And this is the first chapter. There's, there's, you know, a whole spectrum of which to still go through. But I am very concerned that this series is just going to not kind of address the complex things here. Because it's just like, why bother getting into those? But it still will bring them up when it's convenient as punishment for people who are just objectively bad, I guess. I don't... I don't know. I'm not probably explaining myself very eloquently here, but uh, I feel like there's a lot that this series has in its concept that, if done correctly, could be very interesting to read and very telling for this time and poignant. But when they don't, I just kind of get frustrated that it's just another thing that kind of just forgets to bring up the many kind of complex social issues that come about with social media. Thing that you're, because I, I I feel the way about this is that though uh, Daichi is being set up with something where he did a thing that wasn't particularly good. It seems as though he was being set up for a bit of a takedown from that, and instead, as you said, nothing but good came of it. Like when you have a guy who 
and says all these nasty things and stuff, you would think that, like, somebody would discover it, get some sort of comeuppance, and then he would use that as motivation to... Or maybe he would have just a revelation on his own of, hey, you know, bad, and maybe I can actually just live my life instead of having to resort to this all the time. Instead, it's just kind of like, I saved a girl from getting raped, and I'm a hero at school, and I'm still going to shitpost people. <laughs> yeah, and, th- and here's one thing I do want to kind of acknowledge. Uh, what Daichi, we don't see many instances of what he's been posting on this Mr. Harmful account, and the only one we do see doesn't, like, call any of his fellow classmates out by name and isn't, like, I mean, fuck. It's, <laughs> I've been on the internet for a long time. If, if this was the message I got, I'd be like, that's like a D minus on, like, the offensive shit posting scale, buddy. But it's still just that notion of, like, this is the mentality he has. Is he's like, I don't like being considered Mr. Harmless, so I go online to show everybody I'm Mr. Harmful, and I, I, don't, I don't let, I don't pull any punches. I'm gonna let everybody know my true feelings. And you're like, it's not a good outlet for his anger. It's not a good mentality that he has. None of these are admirable traits. And the only thing we kind of get to at the end of this chapter is, like, it seems like he's going to get rewarded for them anyway. Like, I know, he, he, did, he did help his classmate out in that one moment. So, yes, that's an admirable trait. But I'm still not sure if this is a character I want to, like, I'm going to want to like or anything like that, you know? You tie into the premise, the, the thing that he does, you know? <laughs> All right. Well, I, we'll see a little bit more of it, because uh, we're going to get at least two more chapters of it. So uh, I guess we'll see. Better, right. than, better than Shoe Dan. <laughs> I just wanted to piss Jeff off in the chat. I wanted him to hear that. Just like, what? <laughs> like, spitting out his coffee. You'd be like, Dr. <laughs> Stone. <laughs> uh, two Kingdoms of the Stone World. Uh, we cut to the present where we have Senku uh, still kind of recovering from having his, um, neck broken? Yeah. Um, and, uh, so, you know, Taiju is still, you know, crouched over him shouting his name and stuff. Realize it was raining before, honestly? Couldn't really tell that? Uh, I'm, I might have remembered more prior to when we got the flashback for, like, two chapters, and after that it was gone. Hmm. But, uh, Tide realizes, oh, we can't shout anymore because the thunderstorm was something to hide our voices. Um. <laughs> he makes a good point. So, this big page of him recovering, he's holding up the miracle, the remains of the miracle fluid, and he's like, ah, I, you know, you noticed that my neck was like that despite only having a crappy hint to help you, so ten b- billion points to the both of you, yeah. And he's immediately like, stop trying to kill me! So, um, rather sudden moment of inspiration from Yuzuriha as she undoes the knapsack that they have and unfurls it and is like, hey, look at the pattern on this leather. It kind of looks like a rocket ship. So, you know, a a science-themed flag like this is perfect for you, Senku. And Sick is like, not at all, but okay. <laughs> I thought, I guess it does. For some reason, I thought she designed it. I yeah. guess I was just misreading what happened there. She just unfurled it and was like, this looks a lot like a rocket ship, coincidentally. I mean, 
it doesn't look exactly like a pattern that could occur naturally, but at the same time, it looks too, like, uh, I think to, for her to have designed it. I don't know if brace for Senku, which is, is quite rudimentary. Like, uh, it's just this long ass branch that goes all the way from his neck to the ground. She ties the, uh, the, cloth around it to his neck and he's like, there, there, we'll have this brace for you. And he's like, I don't really need that. <laughs> anyway. Um, hey, you know, it's exactly like you said when uh, you were making the soap with, you know, this, this miracle blue and it's, you know, it's a doctor that can save lives. It's Dr. Stone. Senku has this kind of moment of revelation, the petrification thing. You know, it, there is an oddly beneficial scientific to the fluid, the fact that, you know, his he was injured and then when it was restored, he was okay. So he has to think to himself, hey, you know, thing actually like an attack to begin with. Could it possibly be that this was meant to help us, essentially? That would be actually a really interesting twist if that's what this turns out being. Like it was a hmm. way to like, hey, a, cr- a crisis is going to occur, so I froze you all to stone so you'd be safe. Yeah. So, um, Yuzuriha, now that that's happened, she's like, hey, maybe we could piece together these broken statues and we could still save them. And Seiko's like, nah, I tried all sorts of experiments like that. The pieces still just revert to dead tissue. But, you know, if the feeling healing factor is so strong, then why? And you just gonna. And, uh, he comes up with a plan, which he, for some reason, which he, oh, he does say that, this, sorry. He whisp, pardon me, he whispers to Yuzuriha what the plan is, and she gets really freaked out by it. And she's like, that's really insane. Um, and, uh, so Taiju's like, ah, oh, what's the big secret? You get, you should tell me. And, uh, Yuzuriha's like, well, we were thinking that we should go back to Sukasa. And Taiju's like, oh, okay, back to Sukasa. What? <laughs> Oh yeah, let's go back and hang out with Sakasa. That makes wait a minute, that makes sense at all. <laughs> and he starts shaking her. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> um. So, Sinku says, "Actually, what we gain from our latest battle, Sukasa is is convinced that I'm rotting in hell, whereas I, on the other hand, am well aware of his current position." We couldn't hope for a better scenario strategically. You two will act as spies and sneak into the Sukasa Empire. And shouldn't think Taiju's big just accepts it. Yeah, okay. Um but Senko also does comment, I feel Dusery in on the details of the mission. Taiju, your job is to protect her. The less that blockhead of yours knows, the stronger an asset you are. And I was like, Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right, I'm a big dummy. Thanks, guy. I do my best, boss. My I love this dude so much. <laughs> Senku kind of reiterates what Sukasa's plan is, and he says, in order to bring down Sukasa Empire and stop his petrification via mass slaughter, I need a rebel army that'll fight back with science. And we get this imagined scene of Sukasa leading a like a tribe of spearmen against uh Taiju and Senku Company and they're wearing robot suits. <laughs> Oh man! There's a Gundam. I don't know if you noticed. There's a goddamn Gundam in his army. Actually, there's an actual, gu- there's <laughs> like an actual Gundam. Gundam in the background. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, what the <laughs> fuck? 
He's amazing. <laughs> like, there's like, if I'm the dude in fucking Sukasa's army at that point, I'm like, why even give me an axe? What does it matter? <laughs> <laughs> right. So, although Yuzuriha says, hey, you know, what are you actually going to do alone? Because, hey, Sukasa controls the supply of nitric acid. And Taiju's like, yeah, and we can't make any more gunpowder. So, provide people to fight with us. And Sika says, that is true. Find whoever sent up those smoke signals and make some allies of our own. This is where we're at. In order to achieve their goals, they're going to actually be going different paths for now. Uh, Taiju and Yuzuriha going off to join Sukasa, and Senku going off on his own. But they part ways and are going on different sides of the valley. But Taiju gets really emotional because he's like, uh, it makes sense we won't see each other for a while. Weeks. Months. Maybe who? <laughs> and uh, but he realizes, oh, if I shout, then he'll actually see. So he's like, uh, fairy tale. <laughs> he just holds his fist up in the air, and so he's like, ah, all right, you big idiot. He takes off the uh, the the cloth and ties it to the big uh, wooden wooden rod that uh, was being used as a neck brace, and he makes you flag and holds it up into the sky to return the gesture. And Senku thinks to himself, we're going to build it. Mark my words. A kingdom of science. So, weird kind of chapter because it's it goes between... It, it's, a, it's a very... goes pretty quickly in this. Uh, we get Senku waking up. He recovered. The, the you know, brief scare we had for a couple of chapters... The establishment of the plan going forward, which immediately splits up this group. Yes. Pretty short period of time of them being together, honestly. It is unfortunate, but I think one thing that needs to kind of be uh, appreciated or applauded is the fact that it, this does feel sacrificial and, like, sad to see them split ways. Like, the ending thing here of, of Taiju holding up his fist as a sign and then Senku responding in kind. Like, there's a cool shonen, like, awesomeness to that that does feel satisfying. And I actually really appreciate that Yuzuria feels like she's become a real part of this trio and has actually been treated with respect. Like, she was, like, given the important part of their side of the mission because yeah. Taiju's too big You're of an sure. idiot. He's like, I can, tr- I can trust you. Uh, you know, we, we see the, the kind of, uh, panel of, uh, Sen- uh, Senku saying, like, hey, I'm gonna gather up those allies we see, and the, the figure front and center is the silhouette that seems to be the same person we saw previously, the one who's wearing stone high heels for whatever reason. But, and like, a miniskirt. Yeah. I mean, what's Yuzuria really got on? I mean, a lot of these characters aren't wearing a lot. Look at that split. That slip goes all the way up. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I, I like this notion of like, it's what I kind of talked about, like, the Senku building this super team kind of thing to, to thrive. Like, I'm excited for that. And I'm really interested to see what they do with this, this strategy of going two different ways. Are we going to follow both of them? I assume we'd have to follow Senku because what would be the point in introducing us to like six characters at a Gondor calls kind of moments if we don't know who they are? You know, so I feel like we're going to have to go through him and see that, but, at the same time, it'd be weird to not also go through and see what Taiju and Yuzuri are up to. So I'm kind of interested to see like what 
the split is with that, and how long it is before they they get back together. Like how long until the team's together again? Um, I really like what this chapter did. I like that Doctor Stone continues to be kind of uh, exciting and and unpredictable and things. And I I do like that it also as it's time to acknowledge like cheesy shonen coolness kind of. So I really like this chapter. Mm-hmm. So let's move over to uh, Shudan, mm-hmm. soccer manga that we've got going on. So <clears throat> um, this chapter is all about uh, Akira and Soshi, our two leads, just getting to know each other. We established at the beginning, you know, it's after they've had their practice soccer match, and uh, Soshi's kind of upset because, like, he acknowledged Akira in the, in, in the middle of it. He's like... <laughs> Guys, no, I didn't talk to a girl. Just forget about it, okay? Cooties, you know. Soshi's mother shows up uh, to pick him up from from the practice. Uh, She's also there to pick up Akira because uh, her lives next door to them. And she's like, and I always spoke to your mother, so I'll drive you home. So she's like, girl! (laughs) Girl! So, uh, invite her over for, 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 to have dinner. Um, they established that Soshi's mother and Akira's mother have already gotten to know each other, uh, as well. And, uh, she's like, yeah, actually, I knew you when you were, when you were really little, but, you know, you, you don't, you don't remember. And, and Ray comes and says, you want to feel that? <laughs> um, so, so she's like, this is really weird, goddammit. Uh, after practice curry is always extra delicious, but thanks to her, it's tasteless! Oh, I'm feeling so uncomfortable here. Damn it, she may be good at soccer, but this is my castle. I should have to feel uncomfortable, so I'm just gonna act like normal. And he's like, Mom! Tea! <laughs> Better start shitposting her on Twitter! <laughs> oh, sweet, I got a girlfriend! <laughs> I love how fucking much of a brain. Mom! Tea! <laughs> Mom! The meatloaf! Fuck! <laughs> Just it turns into fucking Carmen. Ma'am! So. It's like, stop, stop being a little brat in front of our guest. And, um, so. So she's about to like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll take care of the dishes and stuff. You guys can, like, go play video games or something. It's so she's room. So she's like, go away! He's like, hey, you want to play anything? All I have is GameCube. I love GameCube games. Oh, I don't have, I don't have any like the Smash games or anything like that. I just have uh, uh like uh, the Star Fox games that were very good. I love the Star Fox games that were very good. God damn it! Stop liking things I like that are bad. <laughs> stop getting along with me. <laughs> stop being my fucking good friend. <laughs> so. The rest of the chapter, and it does go on for for a bit of a while. And I don't want to go hit on every single point, but it's essentially just them just chatting uh, about various different things. Uh, so she's getting along with her more and more, kind of caves into her natural friendliness, and she you know observes certain things about him. And this is this is to establish, you know, at once the the bond between them and also to establish things about their characters, which is uh, really nice because it all just kind of, it, it all really does flow naturally. It's the kind of thing that you would have to get a lot of times from just simple expositive narration. And you get in this really uh, much more interesting character interaction. Uh, so very good stuff. 
Their stuff, like, uh, Akira's like, you know, you don't really have a lot of soccer posters around in your room. And so she's like, yeah, you know, whatever. But she's like, well, I kind of thought that every guy who played soccer was just like that, was just super into soccer. Um, excuse me, hashtag not all men. (laughs) (laughs) Just keeps on going back to shit shit posting on Twitter. Got a girl in my room? No big deal. Kind of annoying, actually. <laughs> um, so, like, eh, you know, I'll just probably play soccer until I graduate. I'm not really that super into it. It's just that, you know, uh, it's between doing cram school and soccer. I'll choose soccer. Soccer is actually, you know, super into it. And, um, what we get about her is that even though she's really crazy into soccer, so, so she is like, so then why aren't you joining some actually good soccer club? Uh, and she says, well, because we're moved here and that soccer club is really close. You know, my mom's got to work hard. Um, and so good team. We would have to, we would have to go really far away away in order for me to attend practices and to attend games. And my mom's busy with work, so I don't really want to bother with that. And so, hey, I'll just go to the closest club. And and uh, so... Stop being such a fucking perfect kid! God damn it! <laughs> Yell at your yeah. mom for tea! <laughs> she hasn't brought you her meatloaf yet! Yell at her! <laughs> uh... <laughs> Some things... I don't know if this is really going to work out, though, because... No one on my team is super serious, but she is a very serious kind of person. She thinks things through on this stuff. But before I can even voice that, she says, I really feel lucky, though. You guys are great. You know, your team is pretty good. No, we're not really. Uh, We don't even win matches. And I was like, hey, you know, you can can start now. Uh, I like how you guys trust each other. Uh, You guys, much, but you have strengths that you are all actually aware of. And so she's like, well, I guess that, you know, Ario, she's good on defense, she scores a lot, Yasu's a good, a good, a goalkeeper. Yeah, and you're fast. Yeah, I'm the best one on the team. Oh, and Yamato's got a really strong case. Yeah! <laughs> I guess not to say we are the most amazing thing ever. Yeah, yeah I guess we are great. Yeah. And, you know, more time goes by, they, montage of them interacting and getting along better and better, laughing together. Um, and, uh, uh, Akira is just kind of like, um, let's see. So she eventually just kind of breaks down and gets really proud of his team. You know, he, he says, you know, and, uh, Akira says, Hey, you know, during practice, you said, isn't our team awesome? And so she's like, Oh yeah, it was kind of weird for me to say that, I guess. And Akira's like, no, no, no. Because that you got worked up, that's how you actually feel about it. And I know that now. I confirmed it from how we've been talking. So I'm really excited about joining this team. We're friends now, basically. Um, Soshi's mom teases him as they're on the way out. If I were writing Shudan, she dies at the end of this chapter. <laughs> <laughs> like, car accident and yet somehow also cancer at the same time. Like, I just make it tragic as shit. What was it, uh, 
was it Cross Game, I think, the baseball one that was about that? <laughs> the really inspirational girl who dies and the yeah, we're going to win the baseball game in her honor. <laughs> yeah, but see, I make it like a mystery series. Like after the car crashed and cancer, she wrote the numbers on the ground and everyone's like, what does this mean? We what have to go mean? back to the island. <laughs> Chris, that's how all your manga pitches end. <laughs> I'm like, that's because that's how all of them should go. <laughs> There you go. Um, they've gotten along well, and it's kind of funny because, uh, you know, they say goodbye to each other as she goes back home, and they're like, yeah, I'll see you at soccer next week. And so she's mom is like, hey, she's a nice girl, and she's cute. She's like, uh, really? Yeah, whatever. Um, so he gets, he's really enthusiastic now because of the conversation that they've had, and so he's like, mom, I'm going to go kick the ball around outside. It's really dark out. No, it's okay. I'm really, I'm really, you know, I'm really excited about this. So he starts skin the ball around. He looks over at the, at the, uh, at the yard. And of course, Akira is next door and she's running to her front yard. She's kicking the ball around. <laughs> you kept saying, I'm really, really. And I was, I, I wanted to make a joke that I know you won't get, but there are people out in the chat room that have played it. So I was like, I want to just be like, I'm really feeling it. Like Xenoblade Chronicles, that if you played oh, that okay. game, it was essentially the victory quote of the main character. So we said that a billion fucking times. A billion times. Yeah. yeah. And a very bad, like, well, not bad because it was translated in England, but a very pronounced, like, Cockney kind of accent. Was, oh, oh, I'm really feeling it. Oh, I'm really feeling it. He was really, he was so, he was so pumped about it. He was like, oh, I'm really feeling it. Go on, get all of my accent out of this one. All right. <laughs> He's like, oh, I'm really feeling it. Pip, pip, uh, save the queen. Bangers are mash. <laughs> oh, bloody heck. I do really like this series so far. I, it's, um, favorite topic for sports manga just because I'm not a very big soccer guy myself. But, uh, I do really think that this is endearing and uh kids get along with each other and I like their interaction in this chapter. So I think the thing that I like about it is that it's it, it feels earnest. Like this legitimately felt like two characters who were connecting with one another. Like it all feels believable. It's kinda of why I made the joke about like she needs to die at the end of this chapter, because it's almost like I'm just not used to this level of innocence in Shonen Jump. Like, I'm I'm used to something being, like, a dramatic hook. Because right now, I'm just like, man, I guess I hope all these kids grow up and enjoy soccer as much as they do when they're sixth, or like, or they're sixth grade or whatever. Like, I don't know what to think, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but I like it. It's, it's, it's very earnest in that way. It, it's presented a unique kind of concept we don't have. I know it's been brought up a lot too. It's nice to have a, a Shonen Jump sports series with like a female character being included in it in a, in yeah. like a player role and it not being this weird thing. Like it's being done in a, a well told manner. Like everything here is being executed well. I just, I don't know, I need an alien invasion eventually. Something dies. Like, the, this is like, I'm just like, everything's too good for these people. Everything, everyone turns into stone. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, holy shit, that dude was tied to I didn't get it. Oh my god, this is all, this is crazy. Oh shit, and there's a smoke monster too. <laughs> yes. This is perfect now. I love this series. Uh, so Here's a bottle as a metaphor. What? There's a very significant scene in Lost where they explain how the entire island works via a bottle half filled with liquor. 
It makes sense. All right. I'm sure it does. Okay. So that's that. Um, before we get to We Never Learn, uh, I just want to establish because, you know, everyone actually gets this in the series we're going to be talking about probably next week, I think, uh, is a uh, one for us because it's basically a webcomic uh, called Tomo-chan wa Onanoko, which is about a tough tomboy character who uh, is trying to get her childhood friend uh, actual woman because she has a crush on him and he just treats her like one of the guys. Uh, I've been reading a good amount of it actually even before naming it. Um, and it, it's a uh, reason it should be pretty easy to talk about, I think. So. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I do like Joshua. We won the chat saying, spoiler, they get cancer and die. The last words are, is this dramatic enough, Chris? And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, I suppose. <laughs> I'm doing like the Kermit the Frog, like sitting back with my tea. I'm like, it'll do. <laughs> you're just like, like through ch- from chapters one through 199, you're like, that's amazing, and then it ends it, it, that way. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, I mean, it didn't seem like she suffered that much. <laughs> <laughs> Be way more dramatic if she's <laughs> she she went pretty quiet quickly, you know. Was a prolonged. <laughs> I had to see her mom debate about whether or not to euthanize her own child after the coma. So, I mean, I guess they took the easy way out, but uh, you know, whatever. Oh man, dude! All right, so we never learned. <laughs> Chapter uh, question anyway. seventeen: Youth is a genius's drive vehicle and X. So, this is a. Very interesting chapter to me. It starts off in a typical harem manner where everyone's like, all the girls are like, look at our cool new school uniforms. Wow, Rizu, your boobs sure look big in those. And I was like, it's going to be one of those chapters, isn't it? But then we get uh, some in-media res to kind of start things off as we just notice a scene of uh, Yuega pedaling very quickly with Takamoto on his bike, talking about, like, how many more minutes do we have? We got it. We'll get there no matter what. And you're like, I wonder what happened. So, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we find out at the start of this, Uega eats bread crust because he's poor and his sister isn't around to actually make him lunches. And I fucking had my heart broken when I read that. <laughs> I was like, oh, come on, dude. Look, I had imaginary Christmases as a kid, and still my family was never poor enough that I just ate bread crusts. That is, it is pretty sad, honestly. <laughs> that's a level, that's like when I, like, I heard people were just like, yeah, I remember having ketchup sandwiches as a kid. I'm just like, that's a level of poverty. Like, look, I ate banquet dinners usually like four or five nights a week. I know what poor is, but I don't know that level of poor. Uh, a ridiculous and, uh, mood whiplash going from scene to scene because we start off with, oh man, oh gosh, like your tits in that summer uniform too. We gotta make it and, uh, up to, wow, you guys poor and he's going to starve. <laughs> <laughs> but what's nice is this uh, all becomes a thing of Takamoto, who we know is kind of a lazy person. She's somebody who kind of not lazy like in all manners, but when it doesn't relate to swimming, she's someone who like kind of slacks off. We see she's actually now waking up very early because she wants to put together a lunch for Uega, so he has a real one. And I like that it it seems to be I yeah, it is her mom actually. Uh mm-hmm. who's like, 
what are you doing? Uh, and she's like, oh, no, I just woke up a lot of energy, thought I'd make this. And she just stares at her for a moment, and she's like, I hope he likes it. <laughs> she's like, what are, you, what are you talking about, Bob? It's, it's not for any bias, it's not for anything like that. What do you think I'm talking about? It's kind of a cute, funny moment for her to have. It's adorable, uh, it's, honestly, yeah. you know, that she, that she, you know, for obvious question, but takes that kind of attitude towards this. Yeah. And, uh... She goes to school. She's already kind of like thinking and daydreaming about how Uega is going to react to her wonderful gift of a box lunch. And uh, she pops into the room only to see that her uh, Uega's friends have given a lunch for the day. And she's like, oh, well, tomorrow then. And he comes in tomorrow and then Rizu and Furuhashi, uh, for whatever the fuck her name is, uh, they brought snacks Furuhashi. for Yeah, Furuhashi. They brought snacks for him this day. So, again, her box lunch goes to waste. So... The third day, uh, she, she, well, goes I like, because, because they're, because they establish, like, what did you do with the box lunches? And her friends are like, why are you eating two lunches? I'm really hungry. <laughs> Stop asking me questions. So she plans for the next day to do it, and she's going to do it because she knows that Uega goes to the shop so he can get a sale on bread crust and needs to line up early to get some. I'm just like, good lord, no. <laughs> why? <laughs> I assume they gave bread crusts out for free or for pennies, if even anything. I I feel like it's like it's a fraction so small that a sale on that number would be like uncalculable, but apparently needs to. She, in her shock of seeing Uega show up, kind of puts her bag off somewhere, and what happens is it it's a section of bread that gets taken off and put onto a bread truck, and she realizes, oh shit, my box lunch got taken. God damn it. I can't give it to him. Shuega's like, oh, well, don't worry. The truck comes every day. I'm sure your bag will get back, you know, if you contact them. And she's like, yeah, but it'll be too late tomorrow. And ah, I might as well just face it. I always screw stuff like this up. No. And and this was the moment, Nick, where I was like, you know, I remember when Takamoto first showed up. And, and I like, said, what the with this girl? It's so annoying. Yeah. I said it would be a big, like, they're either going to push this character into the ground as this annoying vehicle for, like, fan service, things like that, or they're going to give her real humanity, and that'd be a great thing to do. And Takamoto, I think, from these recent chapters she's had, has maybe become my favorite character to see, because this broke my heart. Like, in a good way, too, like, I'm not, it, not just, like, completely beat by it, but it's just, like, I like that they put that little line in there where she's like, Ah, what can you do? I just always kind of screw things like this up. Ha ha. And that feels like a real motivation for Uega to then be like, get on my bike. We're chasing after them. I don't know what's the situation here, but I know this is important to you. I can sense that there's something important on your bag, that look on your face. And besides, and he doesn't get a chance to kind of explain it. But you see, like, it's exhausting. He's he's pedaling for two people. He's pushing himself. He's not that physically gifted of a person. Right. There's even this moment that you like. I feel like might be kind of weird if executed a different way, where Takamoto was able to look and see that he's like his shirt's clinging to his back because it's gotten all sweaty, and she actually kind of like pulls herself in closer and says like, "Oh no, it's fine because if I if I let go, I'll fall." And it's her chance to kind of be close to them. I, I feel like there is like some some earnest kind of romantic uh, motion to that, and I, I thought that was really good. And it ends with this joke, then, where they get there, they find out, oh, the truck already left. Well, shit. Oh, hey, wait. My thing's right there. Grab it. Uh, 
here, here's my box lunch. I hope you enjoy it. I just happened to have an extra one. That's not what was in my bag that we went for. It's something else, but I just had this one with you. And they, they eat this, you know, lunch together in the park as like a bunch of other people. Like there's an old lady passing by who's just like, oh, young love. And like a, a mother with her children who are just like, hey, oh, she must have went through a lot of trouble to get him that box lunch. And it's like, all right, this is like a sweet sentimental thing that kind of results in a nice conclusion and felt like we got a lot of characterization out of Takamoto for it. And then it ends with, like, her two friends are like, so, did you manage to give Yumiko his lunch today? How did you know about that? Because <laughs> none of you are subtle about this shit. Everyone, people you don't even know passing by you on the street can see this shit, girl. But this wasn't the only chapter of We Never Learned This Week. No, no, there was another there one. There was another one, and I feel like... As in uh, a pattern for We Never Learned When There Are Two Chapters in a Single Week, one was really good and the other one is just, like, not nearly as enjoyable to get, to get through. So this one's all kind of about misunderstandings and mm -hmm. things like that that create conflict in a situation where, you know, multiple people have feelings for the same person. Essentially, someone congratulates Uega... Or rather, no, Takamoto overheard somebody say, didn't you kiss someone, Naruyuki? And because of it, she's like, oh, you must have someone you like. And the answer is, that you didn't deny it. So, you know, congratulations, good luck, I support you, everything like that. She runs off, and then uh, Furuhashi kind of has a conversation with her, and then she also hears about, like, oh, yeah, someone had a kiss with him. And, like, she starts to get some of those worries, and because Ogata hears it, knows that this is all about her, she's starting to feel a little bit awkward about all of this, too. And the ultimate kind of point is that at the start of this chapter, all the girls were starting to really make legitimate progress in their tutoring. And at the end of this, Ogata and Takamoto basically, like, flunk out of the test they just took. Uh, Takamoto gets a four, and uh, Ogata has a two. And... It's presumably because they're conflicted about what they've kind of are dealing with in their thoughts on Uega. The very end of the chapter is the vice principal coming to grab him and be like, oh, I need to have a word with you about things and some rumors. Well, of course, of course. And of course, Uega has no idea what the hell is going on with either of these two. Fumino is the only one who is actually still making progress. And also, Fumino is the only one who actually understands entirely what's going on. Mm -hmm. Because Uruga had confided in her, saying... Oh, there's a friend of mine who has a crush on this boy, and and Ogata's reactions to things. Uh, Fumio puts everything together and realizes, oh no, you know, both of them have stuff going on with Uga, and she's like, oh, which one do I root for? Um, you're right. This was not nearly as good a chapter as the previous one, and it does rely on a lot of cliches for this type of a series. But I do appreciate that, uh, Firmino, because over the last, you know, couple of months, I, I would say, she really did seem to kind of be trailing behind the other characters in terms of development and stuff. And I think that this, this angle with her, uh, works really well. Having her have a different relationship to the group than just for you again, uh, because she reacts, she, she doesn't act like, oh, no, they've got a crush on Yuga, too. She just kind of, like, puts everything together, and she's more of an observer and supporter for them. Mm -hmm. Um, 
the way that that is that that's done. I yeah, I do I, I do dig that aspect, but um, I think at this point it's completely caught up. So I don't think we should be getting any more double chapters for this for a while. Unless uh, unless this guy just decides to like pull a hero and be like, I'm gonna do chapters this week for funsies. <laughs> I I had extra time. I finished my quality writing for the week. Let me do another one. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. Let's go over to uh, the Promised Neverland, chapter forty-three, and four. So the pursuers have caught up with Ray, chasing after the kids, and uh, the, the demons that's going after them gets on a, a communicator and says, uh, "We found them, and we'll bring them back." Um, so Ray's hiding behind a tree. He's there, but he's hiding behind a tree. And, uh, the most humanoid of the, the demons is like, oh, I can't believe that, that, you know, this thing almost ate them. And Ray starts to analyze the situation. He starts to, he, as he thinks about the other kids, and he's like, oh man, you know, what's it? gotten rid of that thing. I could have dropped it underground and then gotten back with everyone as planned, but, you know, what can I do now? Is okay? I mean, they should be pretty far from here, but what should I do now? The only option I have is to run. Be very different. I'm outnumbered. Uh, and, you know, how do I do this? How should I actually run? So, you know, I've got to at least make sure that, that him and the others are okay. Um, but he does manage to confirm based on the comments of the uh, demons as they overlook the beast course, like, okay, it hasn't eaten any of them in its mouth, so it hasn't eaten any of them. So Ray's like, okay, so it's good. Um, and uh, he planned, he starts shuffling around with some scissors. Um, He started think, shuffling around with some scissors, and we don't really see what he does with them. Well, I think that that's the message he leaves at the very end. He makes a, 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 a note. He carves something in the street about something pursuers. I think it's go something to that location they noted before, pursuer. In the map, right. So uh, the pursuers, uh, you know, are like, hey, are you, are you alone? What's going on with the others? You know, we should go home. You're, 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 you're not going to be safe out here. And, but we already just used that to confirm, okay, that means that the others are fine. So I have to keep their attention on me. I'll make sure that they come only after me, and I can't go back to the group because they'll, you know, just come after me. So I have to go in the opposite direction and separate the pursuers from them. Uh, and I have to do this. You know, I, I can't be thinking about if I can or can't do it, I've got to do this. And he kind of goes, it'll be easier if I was allowed to die. <laughs> It's like, oh my god, emo Ray can fucking get over it. So he leaves that message in the tree, but carving it with the scissors. Uh, and uh, he steps out from his hiding spot and says to the pursuers that, uh, all right, everyone's already dead. You're too late. But he shows them off his number. They're like, oh, it's 81194. It's the highest grade of them. Uh, and but Ray says, I'm not going back to be eaten. And the pursuer says, you are merely food. Your opinion is meaningless. Get him. 
<laughs> it's like, bitch, my opinion means everything. I'm hashtag Ray. <laughs> like, <laughs> as he's right away. Like, baby, my Ray. <laughs> like, oh fuck! He's the annoying one. He's so he? annoying. <laughs> Can't wait to eat him. <laughs> like we see him eating him a t- chapter later. Like, oh, he tastes like fidget spinners. <laughs> <laughs> Nonsense. <laughs> Ugh. Um, uh, you know we what? Cover to the rest oh, of the sorry. Group, yeah, there is actually more to the chapter. I forgot. We covered to the rest of the group, and of course, they're worried about Ray. And it's like, oh man, he should have met up with us by now. What you? Uh, one of them brings up, do you think he ran into the pursuers? And um, it cuts back and forth a bit between Ray and the rest of the group. Emma goes to check out where got Ray, Ray chased off from. Uh, but she collapses. And everyone's like, oh no, her, her, her wound and her ear opened up again. And she's bleeding. Uh, uh, Glinda observes that she also has a... Uh, or Gilda, sorry. Don and Gilda. It's Gilda, right? It was like, oh, she's also got a fever. She's like, Jesus Christ, she's been really pushing herself uh, while they've been running around like this. And they're kind of at a loss as to what to do because none of the three lead kids are there to lead them anymore. Mm-hmm. From out of the shadows, a cloaked figure uh, who looks uh, kind of like a human woman and says, this way, come, come with me. So... It almost looks like it could be a human, like, kid, like a girl, like a young kid, because, I don't know, maybe it's just the fact that we don't see much of her face and only the bottom half seems like it could be very youthful, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, it's, it's... It's very difficult to see through the cloak, it hides a lot of features, so... Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's an intriguing notion. Uh, ultimately, though, I, I, this is one of the few chapters of, of Promised Neverland I found myself not being too caught up into. Not that it was bad, but it, it wasn't like I'm super like, oh, my God, what's going to happen next week or anything like that, you know? Yeah, it's kind of weird because for a chapter that's focused around, you know, Ray getting focused and the, the group separating uh, further, uh, Ray getting chased off by demons... For the actions that are happening in it, I definitely get your point. Especially if you consider that in the same week, you know, we're getting the chapter of Dr. Stone where, the, where that group splits up, and it feels like a much bigger deal that's happening. There's also kind of just a fatigue. This was a huge week of Jump. There were a lot of series in it, and I ended up forgetting Dr. Stone twice in this week. Once I just, I forgot to put it in the poll that came up on the, that I put up on the <laughs> site. And then I also forgot when I was, like, listing, like, putting the series out in order of our recap, I was like, oh, wait, I'm missing one. Oh, right, Promise Neverland. Like, it just didn't feel, like, very relevant this week, so it just kind of slipped my memory a little bit. Mm-hmm. All right. So, we have a chapter of Seven Deadly Sins to get to, and not a lot of time to do it in. So, chapter 222, The Cursed Lovers. Elizabeth's inside of Merlin or inside of this spell that's been cast on Merlin and she's interacting with, uh, I can't remember his name, so I'm calling him Zane from One Direction. <laughs> the entire conversation has become about how he's like, hey, you stop fucking with my brother. You've been doing this before. And there's a very important thing that kind of comes out of this. We know that there's a person that looks like Elizabeth previously in Melodius's life. And that has been kind of a source of conflict for Elizabeth because she doesn't really know what that means for her. That has he loved someone else, and she only he only loves her because she looks like that person, or what's going on? But as it comes out, that's not the case. She is the person from back then, and not only that, she has been a person that has been in Melodius's life 
many times over because every time she dies, her memories are reborn into someone else time and time again. He suggested it's happened 40 or 50 times already. So the notion that Melodius had this girl he loved, he lost her, and his anger turned him into the deadly sin of wrath that we know it, it goes a little bit further that there are potentially 40 to 50 times that this has happened. And it's like, that's pretty crazy. But she's actually really just happy about this because that means all the things that he's felt, they've been about her. And she wants to know everything because she wants to know every sweet word that he's ever said about her, every thought he shared about her. She wants all of that. And Zane's kind of like, all right, good luck with that. Here's them all. Poof. Cut away. Uh, everyone kind of... And then you'll know <laughs> the depth of your own sins. <laughs> Everything's kind of fine. Like, Merlin wakes up, no longer infected by the curse. She thanks Escanar. Uh, Elizabeth's like, I gotta leave. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll catch you guys later. And she has this moment where she's on the roof, and Hawk actually goes up to her and is like, Hey, are you alright? Are you, you know, are you, do you hurt anything like that? And she's like, because No. Because Hawk is good. Absolutely. Uh, she says, no, I'm just really, <laughs> really happy. And she, she has this almost full-page spread of her kind of thinking of all these moments about Melodius and uh, enjoying them. So it's a very sweet little moment. And the rest of the chapter is basically all about the fact that the Seven Deadly Sins now are on a mission now to retake Camelot. And they're all dressed up I will in say, new armor and such. When this happened, I was like, oh, yeah, that's going on. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we do. A, we have to get to that plot eventually. Um, I will note that the very end of the chapter also deals with Bond's sister, who's kind of recognizing she's very close to death's door. And then I guess she's had some premonition that great danger is ahead of them as a pretty sinister image closes off the chapter. But the main point of this chapter for me, I guess, was kind of what we got out of that interaction between Zane and Elizabeth. Or not Bond, not Bond's sister, sorry, King's sister. My, my bad. Yeah, that would be a bit different. Uh, the implication is that um, Bond is going to have to confront the people that are actually keeping her alive. And uh, we'll have to make his decision at that point on what to do. Mm-hmm. Make the, the uh, quick observation that all the members of the Seven Deadly Sins are wearing some form of armor. Uh, most of them are wearing, you know, full, like, knights, plate mail and stuff, looking badass. Uh, Merlin's got this kind of chain shirt on uh, because, you know, she's a wizard and and then there's Escanor, who is just wearing like a. I don't know. Honestly, what, I don't know <laughs> what the fuck it is. It's like uh, like sleeves that don't go to the forearms, but they're like connected via garter belts or something. I don't even know. I mean, presumably it's so that when he gets bigger and he goes into his muscle form, that they'll actually like be able to fit him. But it's still <laughs> really weird. It's like everyone gets sweet ass already. He's just like, I guess I'll walk around in fucking parachute pants that you ripped get off. Get ready to do a Shakespeare production or something, you know? <laughs> oh, I like the chapter. I thought it was very good. Uh, I like where things are going, and we shall see what happens in the uh, freeing of Camelot. All right. On from Seven Deadly Sins, let's go over Black Clover. Yeah, that boring, right. shitty series, Black Clover. <laughs> Listen to the Q and A. I, I, sorry. Yeah, uh, we, 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 uh, well, we made not, a joke of throwing let, shit at Black Clover. Let's not say we. 
I unfortunately did it unintentionally. <laughs> and then I kept the going. <laughs> I threw some real shade at Black Clover and that. <laughs> Very unintentionally, and then it became intentionally over time. So yes. <laughs> um, 114 Flower of Resolution. Which, whatever. Um, so, on a team with Mimosa and Zerks Lugner. Zerks, because it's not the real Zerks. And Zerks is slacking off while their crystal is being attacked in the team competition. Sorry, Chris, the. Hmm? Oh, you don't want to. A team competition! Oh, a team competition! So, you know, he's like, hey, you know, we can't just be lying around while, while this is happening. You know, we, we, we've got to get going or we're going to lose. And Zerk is like, eh, I don't mind if I lose. So <laughs> who cares? <laughs> and he specifically says, don't hit me with all that hot-blooded crap. I put on all nighter last night and I'm beat. People can't move if they don't sleep. Sleep takes top priority. <laughs> <laughs> I can't argue with that. I do really like this guy. <laughs> um... So the other team, we get very briefly introduced to them They're with the, their names like Rick Cordell, Forty Gliss, Curtis Wolne, whatever. Um, Rick Cornell has a very like snidely whiplash kind of mustache. It's super waxed, waxed two parts, to it, and he's also using punk helmet to spy on them. So he looks like he's from a very different series, honestly. So, yeah, we get a little bit more of like, oh, yeah, we're going to kill these guys, basically. Uh, kind of combination. Um, Crimson Lion King, uh, Crimson Lion King's knight is using his flame power to put a flame spear on the stone, on the stone guy's, uh, Ballista magic. And, uh, so it's up to Melissa and Asta to actually, uh, do anything. To use this. Magic Flower Guidepost to make a map of the area that acts as radar. Okay, so that's where they are over there. And uh, there's a combination spell coming, so they're attacking. And it's like, okay, uh, Aaron Wynn is coming from that I can actually deflect it. And he uses his that in combination with his key to pardon me, smack the uh, ammo out of the air with his sword. So they make a very hasty plan uh, from this, and uh, Melissa's like, okay, we're down one member when at this rate, so let's leave this guy here and just do this ourselves. I'll pinpoint the enemy positions and hold them down. You protect the crystal. The two of us will close in on their crystal and try to destroy it directly. That's all we can do. And uh, so Lassa makes the quick observation, oh, man, Melissa's gotten a lot of battle experience since the last time. So they head off after it, and it's this bizarre but kind of cool uh, thing with Asta in the front just knocking wa- uh, waves of arrows out of the air while Mimosa's falling behind him, and they're just dragging the crystal with them as they go. So uh, I kind of dig it, honestly. <laughs> yeah, you know, when this whole concept was kind of revealed, I was like, are we really going to spend time with Mimosa? I mean, come on. But I like that they showed a lot of growth for her. And also, like, I kind of sit there, I'm like, I mean, she actually supposed to be really talented, too. She's a member of the Golden Dawn. Like, she she wouldn't have gotten into the Golden Dawn if she wasn't talented. So, you know, I think this is actually a good decision to make. I'm, I'm kind of enjoying getting to see her in a more relevant way. 
Yeah, so we um, get to mid-range on their enemy, and uh, Mimosa launches an attack. She just summons a fucking cannon made of a flower. <laughs> As you want to do. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Uh, summon in order to block it, but still, they can still actually attack from uh, mid-range. Uh, their, their enemies make a counter strategy really quickly though, and they're like, okay, yeah, if we get, if they wheel out them to get in close combat, then we're basically screwed. I approach this Kanda, the, the crew splits up, um, one of them with a giant ball of fire following them, and one of them with a ball of rock, and they're like, oh, they're, they're split up, so, you know, is, is, one of them's gotta have the crystal with them, and Mosa quickly uses her guidepost to uh, read it, and she's like, okay, it's, it's, it's over there, it's the left one. But as Aztec closes in to attack, uh, all of a sudden, a pincher attack gets launched. Uh, the guy who was spying on them before had, has a mid-range spell coming up, the fire guy's attacking them, the rock guy that Aztec is approaching is attacking them, and as the attacks start to close in, uh, Mimosa and Asta stumble into this circle on the ground, and Asta gets paralyzed by it. Paralysis trap spell. And uh, the chapter ends with Asta paralyzed, the crystal behind him, and these three huge attacks storming towards them. So, quite an intense chapter, honestly, and I quite liked it. Yeah, it's a good chapter. I do think, though, it's kind of, it's a little bit silly that, uh, the wave of attack that's coming from the rock guy is, um, not like, you know, a wave of rock, but it's like a fist that's carrying a mace going forward. <laughs> I kind of like that. Like, the dude was just like, now nah, I'm doing this personally, bitch. <laughs> I could just send the ball rolling towards them, but no, I'm going to summon a, a rock's fist that's only purpose is to then swing. <laughs> yeah, and after, after it crushes you, the hand's going to come back to me and, like, give me a high five. It's very like it's very like Green Lantern. <laughs> All right, let's but wrap intense, this. A, a quick intense chapter like that. Let's do One Piece though to finish things off. Um. All right. So we are completely out of the flashback now for One Piece. Things have turned south because uh, Big Mom got so upset uh, from uh, Mother Carmel's uh, portrait shattering that um, she not only paralyzed everyone but also exploded the uh missile launchers and so the alliance is in full retreat mode trying to get away summoned his ultimate i guess technique which is a giant goddamn castle which he uh calls everyone into to hide um a bunch of different things happen in the course of this chapter I guess I'll just start on one that will be really quick to get through which is one of the uh people that's been invited one of the important party guests realizes that the tomato box is now unattended in the panic. So he goes after it, but uh, at one point during the uh, scuffle, uh, who is it exactly that, that this happens? Um, I'm not sure exactly wh- why it happens, but he gets knocked over by a wave of cake or something like that. I think and so he stumbles... Another one of Ma- uh, Big Mom's, like, sh- uh, shouts that she was doing. I guess that must be it. So it sends the tomato box flying off of the giant cake, the giant wedding cake. So, mm. um, But yeah, the Big Mom pirates are starting to recover because they're, like, stuffing their ears with uh, with candy. 
And uh, it's uh, not looking especially good. Brulee gets snagged off of Caesar Clown's back. Um, and uh, there is a, a brief string of, like, no dialogue, just kind of reactions of people going, ah, ooh, ah you know. Uh, because Carrot and Nami and Chopper all get snagged by various members of the big, of the Big Mom Pirates, but at that moment we cut over to where Sanji is staring down his father and siblings and makes a quick gesture towards them, and uh, they look at each other and they, they don their armor and we get a fucking goddamn transformation sequence as they don it. It's like they, it really is kind of reminiscent of the Sailor Moon uh, sequence because they're you know these bands of energy while they're naked and the armor forms around them. Which, like, Sentai transformation music the theme played in your mind when this happened? Because there's, I know there's a, like, there's actually a theme, I think, that's supposed to be playing right then, but in oh, your if, mind... When, I mean, when this gets adapted into anime, you just know damn well there's going to be, be a Jerma 66! Jerma 66! <laughs> <laughs> it's... I, I I don't know why I didn't expect this to happen, honestly, of because there's five was. siblings. Like, <laughs> well, they were they were modeled after Sentai people too. Like that was like their thing. Like I I, I when this happened, I was legit like, oh, of course. <laughs> but they strike a freaking pose together. Their 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 team name pops up in the panel. Uh, and each of them has attacks that have, you know, like, sparking red, electric blue, uh, of course, freaking um, Reju is, is the pink one, because she's the girl, uh, and they just take out the people who have grabbed the straw hats, Sanji catches Nami, she falls to the ground, all of them manages to, manage to escape into, uh, into the big fortress, so, just I, I, again, I don't know why I didn't think that this was going to happen. <laughs> and I was like, this is amazing. Get to enjoy it then. I loved it. Um, so that's the first half of the chapter basically is everyone manages to get inside of Capone's, uh, does take a few sh- uh, pot shots at a uh, big mom, but they're stopped by per- Prospero, who then proceeds to essentially disable the entire por- fortress by jamming it all with his with his candy. So they're just kind of trapped like rats now inside of it with no way to fight back as they're kind of slow as they're uh floating away and uh they're not moving very quickly. Um so everyone's like, okay, we need to like make a really quick emergency plan here. And Capone is really upset because, like, God damn it, it's, we spent a year on this assassination plan and now it's ruined. <laughs> Meanwhile, Luffy's just like, this is great, you turned into a huge castle, it's awesome. <laughs> Gotta love Luffy in these situations. Shit's getting real and he's just like, you could turn into a big stone person, it's so sweet! <laughs> um, it's like, okay, well, guys, we have to figure something out because this castle is me. So, you know, it's strong, but it's it's not invincible and if this castle gets destroyed... I die, the castle disappears, and you're going to be tossed out there uh, and get killed by those monsters. Um, but, uh, and talking that happens here, because we're like, we're all, we're all screwed. Caesar Khan says, hey, look, it's not my fault. Those launchers featured state-of-the-art, world-class, and Capone suddenly collapses in pain. Because 
uh, Big Mom has recovered enough that she is now directly outside of the castle, smashing into the walls of it, and he's experiencing the pain of it because it's an extension of his body. And this is basically where we uh, leave off with Capone on the ground, you know, clutching his bleeding head as his face is being smashed in, essentially, and Big Mom is saying, You betrayed me! Betrayal! Oh! Yeah, it's a decent chapter. I mean, it's it's cool to see everything's coming together. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks as though it, what we had suspected all along that they were going to get Sanji's family out of there and run the fuck away. Yeah, basically. Well, that's, that's, that's what, that's what it all came down to. Yeah. I think we'll have more to say maybe on a week when we uh, have a bit more time at our, our leisure. Well, and also when things are a bit more plot eventful, I guess. Because there was a lot of action in this chapter, but things didn't move too far from last week into this one. Hmm. And said, hey, everyone get inside my fortress. Fortress uh, is essentially the progression of it. One Piece is going to be off next week, um, so it's going to be a little while yet before we get to talk about this again. All right. God damn it. Yep. Yep, I yep, didn't yep. notice it. Seems like it happens like once a month at this point, doesn't it? Yeah. What but that, that's... Yeah, for this week, though, that is going to do it for the Manga Recap. So, uh, hey, everyone, thank you for joining us uh, here on smashcast.tv slash rollot and twitch.tv slash rollot. We record the show normally Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, though sometimes, like last week, we need to change plans. And to stay updated on that kind of stuff, you can follow us on Twitter. He is at rollot, and I'm at YRollerUpTime. Our official podcast account is at WMR Podcast. And then you get all sorts of, po- of updates. You'll get to see exactly when bonus stuff drops, all kinds of stuff. So definitely give that one a follow. So check out our past episodes on weeklymongarecap.podbean.com as well as youtube.com slash weeklymongarecap and on iTunes if you search for Weekly Manga Recap. And uh, on all those, be sure to subscribe and comment, rate, and all that stuff so you can help us beat the woodworkers in the hobby section on iTunes. This uh, feedback, ask us questions, leave suggestions for future manga for us to read. Tomo chan wan honoko. In, the, in uh, whatever comment section you're listening to, but uh, also... That for that, that stuff because that is mostly how we keep track of everything. It's the best way for us to keep track of all that stuff. We can mockery recap at yahoo.com. Yes. Special thanks finally go out to our Patreon supporters. Your support allows us to create all sorts of bonus content for you guys to enjoy. We're going to be banging out a fair amount of it at the end of this week. We just did the Q&A episode, which I think dropped earlier today. Yes. And, uh, yeah, so thank you guys for all that support. Yes, I think our, our bonus pod should be out very soon. Uh, and we will get a commentary out for this month as well. I don't know if we would do a Digimon commentary. I don't think we've done one of those in a little bit. So yeah, you're right. maybe we can yeah. jump to on that. But I want to give a special thanks to Charles McNeil, Ben Cooper, Demon Ninja, and Kenneth Smythe? Smith? Smith. Smith. Smythe. How's it spelled? S M I T H. I want to give a special thanks to all you guys. Thank you very much for supporting Smith. the show. Yeah, Smithy, uh, your support is greatly appreciated. So thank you very much, guys. Boosh. Y'all. And of course, thanks to the guys who will make the podcast what it is. Steve Man, our talk artist. You can check out his work in a bunch of different places, including his own Patreon, patreon.com/slash Steve Man. You can see the full versions of the title cards that he does for us. 
as well as if uh, you actually become a patron of his, you get access to his not-safe-for-work content. <clears throat> also to Infamous Planet for creating the special frame that we have for the video version of the... Yes. That's going to do it. Uh, well, we also have to do our, our MVPs. God damn it! I need to write this down in, in the fucking notepad that I've got for this, because I always forget that shit. It either happens at the end when you remind me, or at the very beginning. <laughs> uh, All right. Favorite, favorite series of the week. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, my favorite series this week was actually We Never Learn. I really enjoyed the chat door Takamoto and, and the box lunch. I thought there were so many very, like, just, like, preciously cute moments there that felt genuinely heartwarming. And it all kind of built together to something that was really enjoyable and fun. So I, I really, I really dug that chapter. And I'm glad, uh, we, to see more of the promise from We Never Learned paying off. Yeah. Uh, I'm, uh, I was quite happy with how that went. It's, it wasn't my favorite series this week, though. Uh, that's going to go with, uh, Dr. Stone. I thought that it was a, surprisingly emotional for how sudden it was, uh, parting of ways. And, uh, really excited to see what happens after this point, but I totally get, uh, yeah, your choice was a good chapter too. Um, man, I can't just go with Takamoto. Honestly, I could just, I mean, she, she, she was the reason for it. Uh, you know what though? I think I'm going to go with Rindo though. I, Sorry, I just, Jeff made a joke in the chat that just seemed really mean, but it was very funny about the podcast being a we never listen for him now that we never learned has been voted after the week. I'm uh, sorry. Uh, Rindo as character MVP. I just thought like that, that end of the chapter visual of her and just the earlier point in the chapter where she's like, let me do the crappy thingy is just like, she's just such a fun character. And I liked seeing like the adorable side of her that mixed with that terrifying psycho side at the end. So uh I like that. And uh, I'm actually going to go with uh, Kanata from uh, Astral Lost in Space because uh, I really liked the conclusion that he had to everything where he was just like, you know, fuck it. We're, we're family now. Let's go back home and, and, and survive despite them now. The uh, uh, It was a big inspirational moment. The chapter then ends with them all driving off in one direction of the highway after splitting up, but Paul Walker's in the car next to them, and we're getting ready for the next movie where <laughs> we're getting ready for the next movie where The Rock's actually a good guy on the team, and uh, we're going to kind of see what they do with that now. So it's like all their bad guys kind of join up and become uh, friends of theirs eventually, part of the family. It's cool. I like it. He's in another ship next to them. Everything like you you talk about for this, this has turned a lot of things into, and then they die. <laughs> it's not about them dying. But Paul Walker died after that point, so that's well, what the, that the, became about. The, the scene was a was their way of handling the fact that he died in real life. It was their way of sending the character off without killing him in the movies. <laughs> I just made a reference to the fucking Fast and the Furious franchise, which I haven't seen, but they call each of the family a lot, and I referenced the scene from the series in this. By the way, I don't want to, I, I want to like almost end the episode in this, but I, I promise myself not to forget. If you guys are curious, I, I recently did an appearance on the World Trigger podcast. So if you are like me and you've been kind of hankering for more World Trigger to digest everything like that, mm-hmm. go check out the World Trigger podcast. Extremely fun. We got to talk about a lot of topics on there. It's a great time. But the point is, Nick, I came up with the point in reference and I'm tired of being misunderstood. Harumph. Harumph, harumph, harumph. Harumph, I say!
That's gonna do it, I think. Alright. Let's end this on the most dreary, slowly depressing note possible. <laughs> Is Jinder Mahal still WWE champion, Nick? Yes. <laughs> <laughs>